Today we have on one of my favorite people on the planet, Daniele Bellelli. He's one of those polymath warrior poets who's a great author, a great philosopher, a religious scholar, and then he's also super good at jujitsu. And right after this podcast, we picked up the Shinai, which is a kendo sword, and he was nasty his first time trying. I love every time I get to have a conversation with him. On this show, we talk about Taoism and one particular rebellious Zen monk who's his hero and one of mine as well, Ikkyo Sojun. It's an awesome show packed with a lot of practicality and also a deeper understanding of Taoist philosophy and the religious underpinnings and mystical underpinnings behind it all. This episode is brought to you by Onnit and the new Alpha Brain Black Label. Make sure you hang out for this commercial because that shit is bananas. Onnit.com slash Aubrey. Next up, we have Killcliff. Killcliff.com, code word AMP for 20% off. And finally, we have Native Dio. NativeDio.com slash Marcus, promo code Marcus. One of the things that I love about this podcast is that while we use the Tao Te Ching and all of the wisdom contained therein, because it's me and Daniele, we talk about all kinds of our own views of mysticism and the practicality of some of the lessons of one of the most potent mystical texts. So whether you know a lot about Taoism or you're just getting introduced, this is an awesome way to understand what one of these great philosophies that has been put forward in the world, what it's really all about and how it can inform all of our lives. And of course, we get to venture, as I mentioned before, into a little expose of Ikkyo Sojun, who's one of the most interesting and amazing characters from history. I can't believe there's not a movie about him because I think he would be the type of hero that a lot of us could get behind. I can't wait to share this show with y'all. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. So first up, we have On It. And we're talking about the launch of Alpha Brain Black Label. So it was July 2011 when we first came out with the original Alpha Brain formula. And there was a lot of research and a lifetime of accumulated knowledge and a lot of insight from neurosurgeons and functional medicine doctors and all kinds of different people that went into that original formula. And it was good. And it was, <laughs> it was really good. And for those of you who've tried Alpha Brain, you understand what I'm referring to. It switched the brain on in a different type of way by focusing on the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. It was actually able to stimulate the brain without using caffeine and some of these other things that we often reach to and just put you on another level of focus and almost intentionality of the brain and your ability to access names and places. We ran it through all the clinicals. We showed its efficacy against placebo. And Alpha Brain has pretty much stayed the same until now. And of course, we're gonna keep the original formula and Alpha Brain Instant and actually new form factors coming out soon. But we're also finally making an update to the formula and it's fucking rad. And we're calling it Black Label because we truly spared no expense in making this formula. It has absolutely everything that you could possibly want in a cohesive formula. And I think that's one of the issues with some of the competition is they'll just put everything in there and that can be too strong, that can be too much, that can be good for some people, but really I think the key is the alchemy. It's like making a good cocktail that you wanna taste you really want the right ingredients and the right ratios. 
And we just went for it. And it took us years to develop and ideate and go with this. Some formulas, some people would like, some other didn't like. And finally, we arrived at something that's universally just truly appreciated and is something that it's a similar but different enough experience to really justify giving it the black label signature like a good bottle of scotch but ultimately these things aren't to be discussed they're meant to be tried and without trying it i'm just rattling off words so i encourage you guys to check it out if you're interested alpha brain black label it's what i've been using before every podcast before every speech it's just what i naturally gravitate to there's a kind of subtle euphoria that comes with it that i really dig so check it out I think you guys are going to love it. Go to onit.com slash Aubrey for 10% off and make sure you peep the new Alpha Brain Black Label. Once again, onit.com slash Aubrey for 10% off. Next up, we have Killcliff. So I've talked to you guys about why I like Killcliff, And one of the reasons is, is that it has a, just a subtle amount of caffeine in a lot of their different drinks. And because it's not slamming you with a bunch of caffeine and it's also tempered by the CBD, it has this nice alchemy to it where it's a stimulant but it's also something that can help you ease into your day and relax you a little bit and so it's almost this perfect combination of a little bit up but not jittery and you can drink a bunch of them so we're creating this whole event for our fit for service fellowship designed to get different teams into competition into sacred play into actually finding out what happens when you're giving your best in front of your people and seeing what comes up and then engaging in that very primal way that I think all of us are driven to, but most of us left behind when we finish playing sports. So what do I want on the sidelines? Well, we're going to have a lot of water, but we're also going to have a bunch of kill cliff because that's exactly the right thing. If somebody, you know, the day's lagging on, they want a little energy or they want to just keep their energy sustained. Kill cliff is the one to go to plus the way that they sweeten it. There's not a bunch of sugar. There's not a bunch of crap in the drinks. It's super clean and it's designed for performers, which is no surprise why Navy SEAL is the founder of the company because he wanted an alternative to all of the crap that's out there. So check it out if you haven't already. Go to killcliff.com. Use the code word AMP for 20% off site-wide. Killcliff.com, code word AMP for 20% off. Next up, we have native deodorant. And you guys have probably heard me talk about this one too because it's the best deodorant. It's deodorant that you could lick like it was an ice cream cone. Now it's not going to taste delicious, but it's going to smell delicious for your armpits. So let your armpits lick it instead of your mouth because your armpits are actually licking it in a way because anything that goes in your armpits goes in your body just like anything that goes in your mouth goes in your body. There's many ways in. The skin absorbs stuff. So that's why it's so important that you have aluminum-free deodorant, deodorant without all the crap in it. And of course, you want it to smell good. You definitely don't want it to stop you from sweating because that's really bad for you. So this is the way to go. If you want deodorant, check out Native Deodorant. They got some great scents like coconut and vanilla, citrus and herbal musk, lavender and rose. They got a lot of good shit. So definitely check it out. If you're into deodorant, this is the one. NativeDeo.com slash Marcus or promo code Marcus at checkout. That's Native deo.com slash Marcus or promo code Marcus at checkout for 20% off your first order. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Daniele Bellelli. Daniele, my brother. And I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's so great to see you again, man. And, you know, I 
first of all, I've missed you and uh, I've missed our conversations and I've missed yep. going into everything that we can go into. But there was a particular draw to have you come out and uh, talk to me because I want to learn more about something that I'm having a difficult time doing. And this is Dutao. the Taoist principle of Wu Wei, the, uh -huh. the principle of doing the most while intending to do the least <laughs> you know because i have a real hard time with it you yeah. know i have every opportunity now to like just relax a little bit uh -huh. to not clench my jaw and try to achieve everything through force and yang energy and just kind of allow the world to come to me and really a lot of the magic in my life has been this nice balance of that but nonetheless my proclivity is to just go hard and i'm having a hard time stopping and it's I can feel the wear yeah. on myself. Of and course. I know that I need to make this transition and I need to understand it deeper. So I was driven back to the Tao Te Ching, back to some of these older uh -huh. principles that I know have been lighting the way and informing us all on how to do this a little better, myself included, but I haven't quite been able to grasp it. So I figured maybe we can unpack this a little bit together and uh, we can do a little therapy for me and a little <laughs> elucidation of this, these principles that are truly timeless. So I thanks for coming. I would love to explore the things I don't practice. So that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's me too. And maybe in, if we continue to explore these things that are hard I to mean, do. The way I see it is we are all wired a certain way and realistically you can change yourself to a point yeah so i mean the way we're wired the way you are wired specifically that you're discussing but i'm very similar in that regard is also what make us special in some ways so yeah. you don't want to get rid of it but you want to five percent just Temperate. tweak it a little just smooth that edge and yeah and I, I do the same thing in that regard because, um, you know, when you read the Tao Te Ching, some of those concepts are fantastic. And you intellectually, when you start understanding them, you're like, that's genius. That's how life works. Of course, applying it when your whole history, your whole being has been shaped in a different way, easier said than done. But I think also that's where Taoism comes in in a way that I dig because it's not dogmatic. It's not about you have to do one, two, three, four, five, six, and that's the way. Is This is a principle. Yeah. Do your best with it. Uh, if your best, in fact, what I like about, for example, the way concept, the idea of uh, effortless action, of getting stuff done with the least amount of effort. Mm-hmm. Well, the key word is least. It's not no effort. Yep. It's least amount of effort. And least is relative, right? It depends on the situation. It depends on your ability. It depends on a lot of things. So if it's like, if you are used to, in order to get the job done, I have to put 10 amount of energy. If you bring it down to nine, you're already winning. That's a success, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, totally. In an ideal world, if you can pull it off with a three, that's ideal but hey that's a long path and who knows maybe yeah. maybe one can get there maybe not but if they can just take that first step that's already a win i mean i'm that's, looking for that win i'm, right? I'm trying, to get, <laughs> I'm like, trying <laughs> to get a win here yeah the it's very it's a very good point though because no action is an action mm -hmm. a zero is an action right and that action will not produce a result no. like you can't just manifest something when not act in the way of what you're manifesting yeah like yeah Think and grow rich. You know, that's a famous title of a book. Okay, thinking is an important part, but you have to do some shit too. 
hundred percent, right? He's <laughs> like, that's a good start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like, okay, you bought the lottery ticket. That's <laughs> yeah. good. That's an important element. But yeah. we need a little more to get there. Right. You know? Right. Totally. So tell me, you know, and I also want to talk about uh, one of my favorite rascal masters, Ikkyu Sojin and, and the Zen tradition. So we'll we'll cover both of those, but we might as well dive into Taoism first. Mm-hmm. What is this and, and how is this, how did this become a religion? Because it very much seems like it's borderline more of a philosophy than it is a religion, but it's been religiousized in a way and and there's there's devotees to this philosophy Mm -hmm. and there are some interesting ways in which the Tao is can be viewed as a type of deity Mm -hmm. potentially sure um so i could see kind of where it is but it's interesting that this is one of you know the established quote religions Mm -hmm. of the world when it's so different than most of the other religions it is it's uh the way it works in China is that all Chinese religions are based on some kind or another of animism, right? That's sort of the general beliefs across China has been some type of shamanic animistic beliefs. And then people would start their own variation on it. So people like Confucian philosophy, so they mix traditional animism in China with Confucian philosophy, boom, you got Confucianism as a religion. People like Taoist stuff, so they mix the animistic stuff with Taoist principle, and you got Taoism as a religion. In that regard, it's interesting because you can, people practice it as a religion, people purely read it as a philosophy, people do some weird mix of the two or none of them. Some people don't read the philosophy, don't practice the religion, but maybe they practice some arts that have been heavily influenced by Taoism. Mm. So their practice is very Taoist, but they would never even call it Taoist. They don't even know that that's what it is. It's right. like uh, Chinese medicine is largely based on Taoist concept. So there are, I guess, many different entry points. To me, the philosophy is the core. It's mm-hmm. like that's the origin of it all. That's what is the one that you can do without. The other ones is a little bit of a shopping cart. You decide, uh, yeah, I like these. Or, no, I can do without. It's fine. And, yeah. Uh, that's kind of how I approach Taoism. Yeah. What's the history? When did it when did it come to be? Who was Lao Tzu who wrote the Tao Te Ching? <laughs> so the history is messy, to say the least. It's like it's more mythology than history. No, <laughs> the short thing is nobody knows. The time period somewhere between 2,600 years ago and 2,400 years ago, depending on who you listen to, is when uh, Taoism and the idea of the Tao Te Ching were written down and it emerged. Uh, the ideas probably predate it in the sense that they are, many of those are shamanic concepts, but the actual writing of the Tao Te Ching would have happened somewhere in that couple of centuries time span. Lao Tzu is a historical figure I mean, it's one of those that's good <laughs> luck separating because basically all we have about him is mythology. Even his name is not like Lao Tzu, literally, the, it was kind of meant like old boy or this like kind of this teacher figure who's also really youthful at the same time. There's a tale that I'm sure is historically accurate to a T that say that Lao Tzu's mom was pregnant for 80 years. And by the time, <laughs> by the yeah. time Lao Tzu popped out, he was an old man with a beard who was born <laughs> laughing. So yeah. I'm going to go on a limb and say that's probably not. Yeah, I bet the dark side. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so everything we know about him is a myth. Like the, one of the few things that, are, that we kind of know, quote unquote, is that he supposedly worked in the Imperial Library 
and he was some kind of master of ceremony there. And he gained a reputation for being this brilliant, wise person. And this tale that, again, 99.9% made up, but it's a beautiful myth, tells that one day when he was becoming an old man, he decided, I'm done. See you guys. I'm retiring. I'm off to whatever the equivalent of Florida was for ancient Chinese people, right? Mm -hmm. To warm up my achy bones and do my thing. And he gets to the edge of town and one of the guards at the gate is like, but I hear so much about you. You are such a, your reputation precedes you. My friends who listen to you talk live say you're such a brilliant guy. You didn't write anything. This is such a shame. Your wisdom is going to disappear. Can you please write something? And Lao Tzu is like, eh, no, thanks. Bye. And he's like, no, 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 no time out. Because I'm kind of the guard here and you only <laughs> go through if I let you go through. So tell you what, there's a jail right here. Here is some pen and stuff to write with. So <laughs> go get to work. When you're done, you can go. Until then, hang out in jail. So it's funny because uh, he's technically, according to the myth, he's created in jail, not by somebody who's oppressing him, but by an overeager fan who wants yeah. the goods. So Lao Tzu writes for a few days, composes these 81 poems, hand them over, Gar take a look, say, this is good stuff. You earn it. <laughs> Go off to... And so why have even a kind of myth like this? It's really directly tied to the first line of the Tao Te Ching, which depending on how you want to translate it, can be uh, the, the, the Tao that can be explained is not the eternal Tao or one variation or another. In other words, saying that what can be put into words is always... It's never the real thing. There's something there that's reality and words are an approximation of it. Mm -hmm. Which is true of anything. 100% Especially true. the uh, The deeper the topic is, yeah. the more words you're just groping in the dark, hoping to catch something. Because it's... Right. And I think that story, the myth is exactly about this. It's like, allowed to understand that writing a book, whatever insight, whatever wisdom is there, is going to be trapped in a way that is going to be expressed always the same way regardless of who's in front of you so you can't adapt the conversation you can modify it you can tweak the language depending on the person you're speaking with which ultimately is what make real conversation happen you're putting it in stone it's done and then because that's the way it's set up is bound to be misunderstood it's bound to become applied dogmatically it's bound to lose whatever it is you're trying to drive at so he almost has to be forced into writing it down mm -hmm. because he feels that real insight is fluid. It can never be trapped like that. Right. So he's almost d bastardizing the truth of it by yeah. putting it into words because words are always a lie. They're mm -hmm. always a little bit of a lie because they're only a partial truth. You know, there's a little bit of approximation, symbolism, emblemization of a concept that goes in any word, no matter what. And I think poetry is trying to get you the feeling of something using yep. these clumsy tools we call words <laughs> to try and get the way everybody's like oh poet amazing words like well no the feeling that you have and the understanding you have is what's amazing if the words yeah. got you there they do it hopefully as effortlessly as possible but that's that's a deep that's definitely a deep part of it and it seems like also another part of the ethos was to remain nameless faceless empty mm -hmm. you know and that's a deep part of the Tao. so writing something putting your name on it kind of goes against yes part of the true spirit of it if you're really walking uh -huh. the walk you remain nameless you don't become lao tzu who wrote this book right. that everybody in the world knows about you know so he had to be compelled to do it yeah 
which at that point of compulsion, it's like, okay, this is the way the Tao is working now without resistance. I'm not going to make a stand here. Sure, I'll write it. Yeah. You know, like, whatever, then I'll move on. And that's where the first line is genius, because technically, if you stick by the first line, that should also be the last line of the book, <laughs> right? It's like, well, you can't really talk about it because it's beyond the world, so we're yeah. done. The guard wouldn't have liked that very <laughs> no. much. But the point is, once you get it, that what we are playing with is not quite the real deal, well, if we have that understanding, let's talk about it. There's another guy, the Chuanzu, who comes a bit after Lao Tzu in terms of Taoist writing. He's the second main Taoist writer. He has a line that's similar, but in a funny way. He says, uh, uh, where can I find a man who has forgotten words so that I can have a word with him? Again, <laughs> <laughs> is this joking kind of thing, but he's saying... Look, as long as we understand that words are limited, let's play. They are fun. Yeah, let's yeah. go with it. You know, we can we can pass energy to each other through words. Right. But let's not mistake that for reality. Because that's it's an approximation of reality. And that's what's cool about it. Say once we understood that, okay, now let me write a whole book on it. Right. But um that kind of reminds me of, you know, the two great Sufi poets that I've read is Rumi, mm -hmm. who is like kind of like Lao Tzu in mm -hmm. this way. And then there's Hafez, who's always a little bit more joking yeah. and a little yeah. bit more like rascally yeah. in his nature. And it seems exactly. like there's that same kind of dichotomy there. Hundred percent. You know, even Lao Tzu tend to be more he a lot of the Lao Tzu Ching is written as advice to people of high quality who can then use that to help lead uh, other people. Yeah, so it's not about governing. Yeah, it's an idea about how some fantastic individuals can help everybody else. Chuanzu has a much darker view of society. He's like, society is entirely behind redemption. I'm just going to work <laughs> with these single individuals to make their life better. That's great but I'm not bothering trying to change society. That's entirely out of my... So So there's a different take between the two. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Lao Tzu, is there anything historical about him? Maybe. I mean, some people say he wasn't even a single guy. It's maybe a uh -huh. mix of several writers who put together things and somebody essentially created an anthology out of it. Nobody There's knows. ultimately we get far too lost in the person. Yeah. You know, and person sometimes it's matter. sometimes it's helpful. I think when you look at Christianity, mm -hmm. I think it's a it's a shame that we don't know Jesus the person better because a sure. lot of things are made up about it and interpreted about this, but if you really like saw him like yeah he still has to take a shit he yep. still likes to make love to his you know to his woman he still likes to do all like the whole world would have changed based upon the the man because the man himself has been mythologized yep. rather than christ consciousness which is the this deep powerful mystical truth that christianity created is they created the most extreme being of polarity they possibly could and this is what christ evoked or jesus mm -hmm. evoked if you you know follow that and what he talks about is the most extreme polarity of all of the light and love and goodness possible mm -hmm. and then and then kind of condense that into a being and that's what's really interesting but because jesus has been mythologized it would have been nice to see the man that accessed that and that would have been really helpful but in this case it doesn't matter at all because the philosophy stands with or without the figure Absolutely. entirely. And that applies in general to most uh, Asian religions slash philosophy. I mean, think about Buddhism. There's 
Buddha's life, there's not a ton of solid evidence that, I mean, I'm, probably there's some seed of truth there, but was he really the guy that the myth tells? There's no way to know. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the first things that are written about him are like 150 years after his life. I mean, by that point, you can be talking <laughs> about Superman, right? Because it's mostly yeah. it's going to be made up. Jesus is not 150 years, but there's still a big gap. So most of these folks, you don't know the reality. You know a myth. You know there is isn't no... in Buddhism. There's a saying: if you find the Buddha, kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right? a Zen thing, which That's is a... very much this idea: like, no, no, don't get lost yep. in the person mm -hmm. here. Like, follow the idea and. And I think that's the beautiful part of both Taoism and Buddhism. It's like, no, 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 not, we're not talking yeah. about people here. We're talking about ideas. Exactly. In uh, Western traditions, history is a big deal. Like yeah. whether Jesus really lived and died on the cross and was resurrected, that's, it's almost seen as like, that makes the religion true or not. Right. In Asian stuff, it doesn't really matter. Whether there was Buddha or wasn't, whether he was, it's the principles. Do the principles work or not? That's where it begins and ends. You mm -hmm. know, there's it's purely as you said about the ideas, not about uh, the history behind it. Which is a much more powerful way. Like everybody should be able to follow the path. Every any religion in my mind should be a bridge mm -hmm. to the divine. Yep. And anybody should be able to follow that bridge and find the divine themselves. And if you don't meet those qualifications, to me, there's something wrong with the religion. Right. Like this isn't one person did it and this is what he said and this is infallible. It's it should be like this is a bridge. Yeah. And anybody, if you follow this bridge, you'll get closer to it. You can get to and it. And there's yeah. parts of the bridge that you can't even explain, but we'll get you as far <laughs> as you can and you'll figure out the rest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. And that's where to me Taoism has a, there's something special about it because whereas most philosophies, most religions, in order to practice them, well, you should know them and then stick to a certain sets of beliefs and that's what makes that philosophy. In Taoism, you could have never read the Tao Te Ching. You could have never heard any stories about it. And maybe in your life, you are applying Taoist principles like, a master because mm -hmm. why because that's the language of life because all the things they are talking about they don't require a set of beliefs they don't require you to subscribe to some historical theories they don't require you anything other than to be able to read life to mm -hmm. see those principles that are in nature so you can be and paradoxically test them with reality yeah not test them with a word or exactly. take on faith the article of faith but let me test this against life yep. and see if, it, see if it applies to life. That's exactly what it is. So to me, Taoism, even the ism is off. There's the Tao, you know, there is <laughs> right. no ism in there. It's like right. you either understand those ideas and apply them or you don't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like it's yeah. like it doesn't. And there's no consequence other than the consequence you'll actually feel. Yeah. Like this hypothetical judgment that's going to create some eternal consequence for you one way or another in another world okay uh -uh. whatever what let's talk about this one yeah does this help in this world does it help in your life yeah you know that's that's where it's a lot more interesting and to me beautiful because it's practical yeah. right exactly what you said there's a very pragmatic element to it it's like if you understand the law of gravity you probably are not going to lift a hammer over your head and let go <laughs> is it a scene if you do no you just get bumped and it sucks <laughs> it's like yeah. that's where it begins and then so if you learn those things it can make your life easier. Can you swim against the current? Yes, but it's a lot easier to swim with the current. And right. it's, 
it's just stuff that if you get, it helps make your life easier. That's yeah. it. Let's go to this first passage because mm -hmm. this is this is where you know you are you started it and told the first part, but there's some really interesting parts because it's weaving in a subtle explanation of the Tao and then also some starting to get right into some advice as well. So I'll read this. This is the Stephen Mitchell translation. The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. The unnameable is the eternally real. Naming is the origin of all particular things. Free from desire, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you see only the manifestations. Yet mystery and manifestations arise from the same source. This source is called darkness. Darkness within darkness, the gateway to all understanding. This is some deep, some deep yeah. poetry. <laughs> so let's take this, let's take this piece by piece. We talked about the first part of it. The unnameable is the eternally real. Naming is the origin of all particular things. And we kind of talked about that as well. It's like, what is this? This is a pen mm -hmm. that I'm holding up right now because I call it a pen and I understand what a pen does and it meets the criteria for the pen. But if you were wordless, you would just under see the thing and see what it does and it wouldn't have been emblemized. But because it's a pen and that's a simple thing, it meets the criteria quite well. Yep. You know, and mm -hmm. but but so it, it becomes a particular thing rather than an expression of the ability of what it's potentially can do. I think you nail it because it's uh, it's very related to something that we were talking about before we were on the podcast earlier at lunch, like how people use labels for mm -hmm. ideas, and the reality is that those labels are they lead to more misunderstandings than anything because sometimes it sounds like we're having the same conversation we're talking about the same thing because we use the same label but what we mean by it is completely different somebody will talk christianity and they think about the inquisition and squashing different religious view viewpoints somebody else is talking about christianity and they are talking about being nice to your neighbor <laughs> you're both using the same word and they have nothing to do with each other yeah. and so sometimes that's the problem with words is that they usually there's a range of meaning and we get completely lose track of the practical application of it. It's like, what does your Christianity mean? How does it make you behave? Does it make you be nicer to your neighbor? I'm down, I like it. Does it make you be an intolerant freak? I'm not down, I don't like it. Uh, yeah. I, wanna, I wanna see what the action is that flow from whatever you're saying. And I think very often we get caught into this uh, semantic discussion where people, they may be having an argument and they are not even talking about the same thing. And people go on for whether you're talking about politics, whether you're talking about religion, whether you're talking about so much stuff. Half of the time, I'm just like, I don't care. Show me what it means. You know, mm -hmm. I hear the words, I hear this and that. Show me how it translates into behavior. Show me how it translates into pragmatic things. How would they affect life? Because otherwise we're just getting lost in like some philosophical castle here that doesn't really have a parallel in real life. Yeah. And I think that's what he's driving at there. As you approach, there's a, a great concept. I forget whose concept it is, but he talks about hyper objects and mm -hmm. these things that are 
impossibly complex to understand and the more people who are a part of something and the more ephemeral an idea becomes and the more variations on it the more difficult it is because let's go back to this pen well if i stab someone in the neck with this pen this pen is a weapon yep and that's what this pen is and then it's is it really a pen well i suppose it's a pen but really it's a pointy thing that you can poke somebody with yep you know or if i'm using it to hold my place in a book is it a pen or is it a bookmark that just happened yep. to be a pen or if i'm holding it using it to hold something down well then it's a paperweight mm-hmm. you know like it but it's it so but it's still largely understandable but this is such a simple thing and it can still be many things and then you get to something like christianity and i think you mentioned there's approximately 30 thousand different yep. variations of christianity that are practiced different sects different mm-hmm. belief systems and then within those thirty thousands, there's each individual that's approaching those same core tenets with their own purview on what it means in their own internal translation so when you say the word christianity what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> exactly you know? it's like there is no such a thing it's like <laughs> yeah. get a little give me the, ex- the specific example <laughs> otherwise it's abstract it doesn't yeah. mean anything and, yeah. and i get it you know it's like living in the world means having to generalize sometime because it takes forever otherwise to get to the point of saying no what i really mean in this one instance in this one time and this one but the problem with generalizations is that while they are useful to some degree, they are also horrendously lacking precision. And not only lacking precision, but downright distort reality sometimes and mm-hmm. take it to a place where really has no parallel in reality. But we treat it like it's real. And because it's a word, we, it feels solid. It feels like it means something. And so, and to me, that's the origin of many, 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 many problems. Yeah. Think about uh, you know the kind of political rivalries that exist between people and how people can get really nasty with each other over politics. Most of the time, you all want your kids to live a good life. You want them to be healthy. You want to drink water that's not poison. You want you have a ton of stuff in common when it comes to how mm-hmm. you go out and live your day. Start with that. Let's focus on that part. Mm-hmm. On the a lot of the other things is abstract. Mm-hmm. Is uh, sometimes it's not. Sometimes there are real differences in behavior. Okay, let's address those. But but many many other times they are verbal traps that we fall into. Yeah, yeah, that's very that's very true. And it's you know it makes me hesitant to use certain words. Mm-hmm. Like the word God is a word I'm very uncomfortable with. Yep. Even though I feel like I know God, I feel mm-hmm. like I've felt what god is right. in my own journeys and and i i understand and i feel god as the all sound the all light the all color the everything capital l love capital m mystery what mm-hmm. capital s source like it's the the only thing it's yeah. the thing you know it's like and in many ways it's like the Tao. although you know we'll, we'll go into that probably as well because they say that the Tao is older than god mm-hmm. which is very interesting yeah. it's like it's almost like and there's different ways to explain that but the word god itself i use it and i know that everybody is hearing a different thing completely you somebody know, so, immediately is gonna go like oh he's no, a weird fucking. religious freak <laughs> yeah, I, exactly my dad was a baptist preacher was an asshole so i hate aubrey and he's like whoa 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 there are a few passages there <laughs> yeah. in between aubrey saying something about god the way you mean it and yeah. you know yeah, I think that's the problem with language. That's why I think I understand what they mean there by having to adapt language. Like when you are face to face with somebody, you feel their energy, you see their reaction, you see how a word you said makes them squirm one way or another. 
and you can tweak it immediately. Mm. You can, it's like, oh, okay, I got that feedback. This is where you're coming from. So let me try to go about it a slightly different way. And, and then you can adapt it and you can make communication successful. In written words, online, you don't have any of that stuff. And so you're stuck with these verbal traps again. That's, uh, it, it almost seems like the only way to really use language well is in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Mm -hmm. It's like what you're talking about, because there is that feedback. You have to see if the person understands what you're talking about. And I think it's also a problem that we get into when we judge what someone said a long time ago without the context of the environment, the person, the whatever. And it might illuminate some ignorance mm -hmm. for the time, but the ignorance of that time was was per so pervasive that the idea that someone was supposed to be elevated beyond that ignorance is absurd. Yeah. You know, and it's like, so, but we'll still punish them according to the standards of what we know now. Yeah. You know, like in 1985, like wearing blackface for Halloween was like, it normal. was normal. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't, someone didn't mean offense of by course. it. They just didn't know better. Wearing a Native American headdress uh -huh. was not offensive it wasn't taking away from a culture it was just like i'm celebrating this in yeah. some way or playing yeah. and but now we know better and so now there's a different standard but to hold somebody to something from a past time and apply it to now it's like you have to know the context the time the environment and the the people the place and yeah sure it may illuminate that they didn't know something sure. but one thing that pissed me off i came to texas and i got i got tricked into going to a, a ski trip that was really like a christian conversion trip you know <laughs> right. and they're like come on let's go skiing and it was like sure. bible study every night i was like yeah. come on you gotta be kidding me i was fresh out of moving from california my parents were fully agnostic and like well we don't know we don't believe right. in anything um and then they were explaining to me they were like you know if you don't believe in jesus as your savior and take him into your whatever that you go to hell and i was like okay well, from what I know, humans have been around for, I don't know, right. 80,000 years, and Christ has been here for 2,000 years. What happened to everybody before that? Are they all in hell? And they're like, well, if they, if, and the, the, the preacher or whatever, he said, well, they should have uh, been worshiping the Christ before he came. And I was like, yeah, what? Right. What are you talking about? Like, how are they going to know? If they yeah. don't know, how are they going to worship Jesus before he's even arrived, before someone even expressed anything? Right. But they have this belief that, oh, well, you still go to hell anyways. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Get me out of here. I don't like skiing this much. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not <laughs> worth it. I'm done with yeah. this nonsense. Yeah. It's very, it's very, very interesting. But it's the, same, it's the same principle of judgment that we apply when, like, there is ignorance, just plain ignorance. And if you're going to punish literally not being aware when you had no cho no, no ability to, of course no agency to make yeah. a choice based upon your awareness what game are we playing here what right. demonic fucking principle is this and that's where to me in Dao Ching fashion is like somebody was going that far in that direction and coming up with their whole theology about how that works that way and the people who were is like bring it back down 16 levels how do you treat your neighbors? Yeah. How do you raise your kids? Tell me about that. It's yeah. like, bring it back to a place where it's here, where it's tangible, where otherwise, yeah, when they go far, people come up with really weird shit. Where yeah. it's like, how do you even, what kind <laughs> of perverted abstract game are we playing here? Right. You know, it's, right. Yeah, and that's where these dogmatic principles, then you try to apply it to everything and, and you realize that there's irreconcilable 
facts yeah. of like 80,000 years of humans all went to hell because they yeah. didn't know any better, but it was their fault somehow. Right. Like you're either saying that this God is a demon yeah. who's punishing people who didn't deserve it, or you're like, it's just crazy. Yeah. Or you're wrong, but like they don't, they're not adapting to that, nah. at least that preacher at that time. I think probably there's ways and subtle nuances that sure. so many different people have dealt with this same question, but it, you know, at that point in that time, it was not dealt with. So no, I was like, I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. All right. The next line of this free from desire, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you see only the manifestation. Yet mystery and manifestations arise from the same source. So what do you take, what do you take from this passage here? This is clearly, I mean, some stuff that's one of the things that I find fascinating about this book is that every time it's a short book, you can read it in a couple of hours, but mm -hmm. every time you read it, you may uncover layers that have been way over your head before. I agree. So I feel like a lot, like this one is like one that I'm at the, I think I get some of it. I think there are some part of it that I'm not getting. Like the initial part, the, um, the free from desire versus kind of being caught in desire. Mm -hmm. That one makes sense, right? It's like when you are needy, when you come from a place of need because you desire things to be a certain way, all you're going to see is your projection of your own need, right? Your mm -hmm. all of reality is going to be based on like this, I want this. And so is everything is going to be filtered through that. When you don't come from such a place, reality comes you are a much cleaner mirror. You know, you can mm -hmm. reflect things how they are as opposed to how you want them to be. So that I do see as an important point. Mm -hmm. But it does sound like he's going a couple of layers deeper than that. Right. And, um, Especially as he moves into the darkness. I think that was really well said. Especially the idea of like when you're in desire, you're looking at the world as the ways to fill that desire. Mm -hmm. That's your confirmation bias. That's your yep. satiation bias, yep. let's just call it. Like your desire to satiate a need is now you're seeing, does this fit this thing? And so you're trying to condense reality and looking for a manifestation that will fill mm -hmm. this thing rather than the totality of everything, which is the mystery, which fills all cups and right. fills all things. And I, so that I think is, it's deep, but it is. it's potent. And then mystery and manifestations arise from the same source. And I think this is, this is now getting into classic mystic territory. This mm -hmm. source is called darkness, darkness within darkness. What it seems to me he's talking about is he's talking about the void, mm -hmm. very similarly to what Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about, or people who talk about manifesting from the quantum reality of the void, where yep. all things are possible and it's just a state of superposition of all possibilities. And then something crystallizes that is then a manifestation of all of those possibilities, but it's still from the same source. It yep. still came from the void, this pregnant overripe pair of every possibility <laughs> waiting for you to pick something, drag it from a golden thread from all possibility into reality. And, but it's still this from the same, it's still from the same source. And it reminds me of, and he says, darkness within darkness, the gateway to all understanding. There's a model, and I'm going to have this guy on the podcast, but he has a nine-dimensional model of reality and cosmology. And the first and the ninth dimension are two different articulations of the divine. Mm -hmm. Whereas the first is the energy, like the, imagine the Big Bang in explosion. Yeah. It's like the energy of the yang of mm -hmm. God. The ninth is the yin of God, which is just the all possibility, the yeah. emptiness. It's where 
everything and nothing are pretty much the same, but they have a slightly different hue to them. You know, it's why one is depicted as the white and one is depicted as the black. Yeah. It's like, this is the energy f- factor of God. This is the possibility factor of God, the empty part or the everything part, mm-hmm. the nothing or the everything. And it seems like the Tao is what he's, what he's talking about is the, is the ninth dimensional articulation in this mystical yep. uh, you know, system of understanding of this is the all possibility. This is the substrate, which is still God, but mm-hmm. it's the substrate yep. that's there before that one. And I believe it's like this one choice that God makes. It's like, yes. And as soon as that happens, it's like big bang, bam, 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 right. planets, bam, fucking polarity, second dimension, third dimension, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. You're like, you know, yep. and it's this giant ohm, like, yes. And then there it is. But before that, and that's why it says the Tao is older than God. Before yeah. that, there's this there's substratum just, there. This, yeah, just yeah. possibility, possibility waiting for that one ohm yep. of creation to come through. Yeah, that's basically you summed up Taoist cosmology in a nutshell, right? Yeah. That's kind of in some of the later chapters. That's basically what it breaks down to. It's saying there's this thing that's there before all things. That's, uh, you know, I speak of the Tao as the mother of the gods, as before the gods, as before there are even, because, you know, in Chinese animism, of course, they have multiple deities, not just one. And they have the Tao as this impersonal thing. It's not a being. It does not have a personality. It does not have uh, likes and dislikes. Is this energy that's there mm-hmm. from which everything else will spring. And the way they break it down in the Taoism is that there's this energy that's what you refer to as the void. There's It's, it's all potential, but nothing mm-hmm. manifested. And then you have this separation between the opposites, the yin and the yang, these mm-hmm. two opposites. And then the interaction of between yin and yang creates what Taoism called the 10,000 things, which is basically all of reality, mm-hmm. right? All the different uh, manifestations of reality. And basically all of life is uh, is this dance between yin and yang. And if you want to go back to it, both of them were born from this uh, void initially. Mm-hmm. That's how they conceive of reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh and that's part of the cosmology as well. That first this first split is is pure polarity. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, light and dark. Yep. And I think the, as I was saying referring back to what Christianity did, they made a being and you know maybe actualized a mm-hmm. being that was from a second like christ is a second dimensional being mm-hmm. a being where there's only two things yeah there's the light and then there's darkness. the dark yeah and they uh, but they completely miss what the darkness is mm-hmm. you know because they make it all evil yep. and stuff yep. and this is in the cosmology from matthias to stefano i'm referring to that's more of a sixth dimensional being of delusion and trying to cloud yep. you from seeing the truth but it's it's the the active and the passive the you know it becomes polarity becomes a very different thing than we understand it as completely but and i think they missed that whole thing with the devil and and all of this but they did this idea of the christ is really i think the only religion that's created it you know really named the second dimensional Mm -hmm. young principle of this love and life and light yeah which is tricky because uh, all religions understand that there is duality in life Mm -hmm. it's inevitable you know you look everywhere you see duality 
but the way by giving it a value judgment, by making it uh, God versus the devil, good versus right. evil, you're really missing the point, which is what Taoism is trying to drive at, that duality is a dance, it's not a fight, it's not right. a line in the sand where the forces of one side and the other clash. It's this harmonious dance that's constantly changing, where these two dancing partners have to find the rhythm and the right balance. And that's what it, like all of Taoism is about balance at the end of the day. It's about constantly tweaking this, really a dance, if you want to look at the metaphor, but not even that metaphorically. It's how you live, right? Is you're constantly adapting between these two opposite forces that are not good or bad. It's like, is uh, masculine and feminine is one good and one bad no they are energies they're mm -hmm. good energies they're mm -hmm. both have their beauty in it yep. cold and hot too much cold too much hot <laughs> are bad but there's a sweet spot there where you sure. like to experience cold but not crazy you like to experience heat but not where it cooks you in situation and you like yeah. somewhere in that range between where you can live between cold and hot you want to play all of them they're all great and so that to me is a healthy dualism, right? It's a healthy approach to take opposite energies and find out how you can make them work in a functional, harmonious, and happy way. Mm -hmm. Conceiving of everything as this titanic struggle between light and darkness, it's kind of a grim way to live. Yeah. When I, uh, I was on an ayahuasca journey and I had a vision of Christ in form, mm -hmm. right? Jesus in form. And I had a vision of the devil in form. And what ayahuasca showed me is they immediately embraced, started, started kissing yes. and making love. <laughs> I remember like, that. I remember you saying like, that. Oh, yes. man. I remember it. You know, I, was, I love that when you said <laughs> it. I was like dying laughing, but it was also profound. So yeah, I loved it. Was, it was really interesting. Yeah. And, I, and I think uh, there's just again you say the devil and it conjures up all of these yeah. different things and it's an impossible it's a hyper object of a word mm -hmm. i think there's a there's a big missing explanation for what the yin principle of the initial duality is you know or what the opposite of christ mm -hmm. actually is not being the evil thing because as i said i think that's many steps down the way yep. that involves human beings and choice and like yep. these different other energies which are a muddied delusional mm -hmm. blend of things that are way 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 down the road but in the pure sense of that first duality i think understanding that in the in the classic way of yin and yang makes a lot more sense than yep. all of these kind of desert religion cosmologies 100 percent. that's the to me, in a younger, they describe life. That's how life is. And that balance, which is constantly shifting, so you can be dogmatic about it, but that's what the real... Like, I use the metaphor of surfing for this stuff because it seems... Uh, it seems fitting in the sense that life is sort of that wave that's constantly changing. You know, if one moment the balance is tilting 70% to the right and 30 left... And so you say, oh, that's the balance. So let's write it down, 70%, 30%. Well, a moment later, the energy of the wave has changed. If you do that, you fall and you end up at the bottom of the ocean. Now you have to tweak it where I'm 60, 40 this way. Now I have to... And so balance is a dynamic state. Mm -hmm. It's something that you are constantly adapting based on your reading of the current situation. The problem is that's hard work because it means you have to be aware you have to be awake, you have to pay attention, you have to be sensitive, you have to read it in real time. Dogma is so much easier because it's 
in every situation do A and avoid B. Mm. I mean, if you are a dumbass and you have no idea what's going on, some principles are better than others sure. most of the time. Sure. But come on, man, there are 10,000 exceptions. Yeah, making to that. love is generally better than making pain. Not always. Right. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like know, are, but like generally, yeah. there's a general rule. Like, so there are good guidelines, <laughs> yeah. but delicate guidelines, uh -huh. right? Not fixed law written in stone. And so Taoism is very big on uh, avoiding absolutisms but even then it's funny that is, is very there are no absolutes except when there are <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's yeah. like most of the time no but occasionally there are a few things where there's a pretty hard line you yeah. know there is no you know killing somebody generally bad but a self-defense or this or that you can make an argument well, he talks about he talks about how you go into war you go into war with great sorrow right like with so, great like but it does he doesn't say never go into war exactly he says you go and you approach it i forget his exact words but you approach it like a funeral like you approach it like a like a, a thing of great sorrow True. that you have to do and then you retire sad yeah no matter what yeah not victorious nope. but but sad absolutely and that's so he's making an allowance but he's also showing that that's a far from ideal scenario and in some cases you don't have an option but that, mm -hmm. but other cases you know what i mean there is no self-defense rape it's like, right. that's pretty wrong 101% right. of the time. Right. So occasionally, not often, but occasionally there are some absolutes, you mm -hmm. know? Those are very rare though. Most and now of my the mind's time. scrambling to think, but is there some kind <laughs> of self-defense rate? Yeah, that does You're in a prison and there's a guard <laughs> that won't let you out unless you get through his chastity. <laughs> I see. And then, then you'll be like Mike Tyson and you'll fuck him till he loves you. <laughs> we were talking about how Mike Tyson yeah. talked, talked shit back in the day and he said he some dark some things. weird lines. He said, yes. I'm going to fuck you till you love me. Yeah, that was... <laughs> to say that to your opponent you're about to fight that's how do you that's, even that's <laughs> yeah that's fucking heavy yeah um but yes you're absolutely right like this you start to get into absolutes if not near absolutes yep. and where you have to create do so much hypothetical dancing to even make make sense but right. even still you're only approximating an absolute yeah and i want to go back because i was i was trying to i was trying to associate christ consciousness with a second dimensional polarity but i don't think it works i think it's actually probably more in line with the, like a first like a hybrid first dimensional reality of this is actually god energy expressing this is mm -hmm. this is something that's actually a combination of both polarities yeah. the allowance you know turn the other cheek well that's clearly yin that energy yin. Yes. right and like all of these this softness and gentleness yep. of when i've experienced christ energy expressed through a medicine man or expressed through it's so impossibly gentle and of course mm -hmm. that carries the combination of both principles so i think actually the only accurate way to express that duality is more with the yin yang yeah symbolism right like the active passive and and that that actually so i think you know i want to go back and just clarify like i think i've been thinking about it a little bit a little bit wrong because i think in the eastern way i think that's really the only way to understand duality it's both it's both at the same time and i think Taoism puts special emphasis on the yin because they say everybody understand yang yeah their thing is like i don't need you don't need to be a genius to understand that strength is a powerful thing that yeah. uh, big strong muscle carry you through that effort gets a result most people get it because it's fairly self-evident. 
So Taoism is like, yeah, we're good with that. Yeah. We got it. You got this. But Clearly, everybody building yeah. walls, you know, raiding castles, <laughs> yes. doing all these things. Like we totally get it. got it. The other side of it though, is the one that they argue that's not as well understood, and that's the yin aspect, and that's the power of these more uh, subtle, uh, delicate energy that's extremely powerful in a way kind of way in a yeah. not overt doing stuff is getting stuff done in a way where it looks like you barely move the muscle but somehow you got the stuff done yeah which if you look like uh, the tales of uh, great martial artists are clearly an older guy cannot compete with the speed and power and hardcore energy of a younger guy how can they do it they can only do it through better timing they can only do it through better getting there faster, not because they are really faster, but because they minimize the amount of motion to get to that point. And potentially they read the Tao in a way. They exactly. read the flow of energy. Yep. And then we're not talking about one of those crazy things where it's all clearly fake, where someone no, has no, a pillow like, and they're pushing people the away, shooting, no, it's, shooting uh, chi from their hands. But you watch an old, I watched a clip that Tim Ferriss posted of an old judoka, mm -hmm. probably 80, oh, yeah, going yeah, against so many. Before, he's, he's almost like, yeah. The guy's trying to throw him, but he's just dancing, yeah, yeah, like yeah, barely yeah. tap tiptoeing. Like he'll yeah. lift, but just tiptoe and like move, and he'll try to hip throw, and he'll just tip, like glide right around the the hip that's trying to toss him. I love that you mentioned judo because that's a perfect example. Because Kano had read the Tao Te Ching, and a lot of his understanding of modifying the jujitsu curriculum into judo was filtered through the lenses of Taoism. Mm -hmm. So a lot of his idea was like, I don't need to teach a big guy to beat a small guy. That's gonna happen 10 out of 10 <laughs> when uh, yeah. if an untrained big guy fights an untrained small guy, they're gonna win overwhelmingly most of the time. Yeah. Um, so how can I use it in a way that somebody who understands that more yin energy can use it to beat a greater force? Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of judo philosophical is. So people read it and they think, oh, is this going to be this very gentle Tai Chi-like thing? Then you watch judo and you're like, man, these guys go at it hard mm -hmm. and there's a lot of sweat and effort involved. What happened to the way part? And again, is way is the least amount of effort is not no effort. Right. You're gonna, if you go in somebody good, there's gonna be a lot of sweat and push and pull and stuff. But the goal is to use as much in and possible. So maybe you pull them and you manage to sweep their foot as it lands. At that point, it doesn't matter how big the guy is. If you catch the right timing, he's going down, mm -hmm. you know? Or there's that push and you go with it and you pull them with you, put the foot and you hit the Tomenage throw and you are, all those things are, that's yin. Yeah. But of course, it's not this, uh, the caricature of yin, like the way, yeah, the guy who shoots uh, energy out of his palms and knock everybody down or I'll just go with it and everything is going to flow. It's like, no, there's still a lot of yang involved. But through mastery, is it's another level. You know, it's when you can use less effort to beat the guy. Yeah, and yeah. It almost seems like at a point where you have less strength, like that master 80-year-old, mm -hmm. I don't know if he was 80, but he looked like it. Yeah. 80-year-old master judoka, he had less available strength. So you, it's almost like his judo was even more pure. Yeah, you have to, right? Because yeah, he had yeah. to. And it's like when Ram Dass got, had his stroke and he had aphasia and he couldn't speak as eloquently, mm -hmm. His his what he expressed was, oh, now I have to be even more in my heart. Yeah. You know, and he was by all accounts, people who've met him, and he was 
no less powerful mm -hmm. at that point because he just expanded his heart energy. So he was almost even more of a mystic yeah. than when he was eloquent and he could crack some jokes. And I love that Ram Dass. Sure, I listen to his talks all the time. But there was something so powerful about even the elimination because it really brought out that ultimate supreme spiritual power which comes from the letting go of yeah. all of the clever words and i think they talk about this like mm -hmm. the clever words are actually not that clever right you know there's like the it's the energy you know you can get lost in the cleverness yeah. of a word and how oh i said that really good didn't i you know you get kind of caught in that that moment of your own poetry whereas if you're just being mm -hmm. you know i my friend east forest who's named krishna by ramdas he talks about when Ramdas said the words that he just sat across from him for like 10 minutes and they just looked at each other in this deep trance. And he just smiles and says, just this. <laughs> and like that was like the most profound thing yes, of course. That, that he's ever heard, you know? And yeah. it was because but obviously those words don't mean shit. But it was the energy. And it was that it was that transmission of like, this is everything. Yep. Just this is everything. Yep. And you know, maybe Ramdas at 50 would have started talking at two minutes and you know asking you know done mm -hmm. all this and he would have missed that magical moment that came from like just sitting there yeah that's why to me language is an interesting beast because i love beautiful language mm -hmm. but to me the most beautiful language also has a certain simplicity like if you if you cannot read that story to a 10 year old and an eight year old and it doesn't click with both of them to me you haven't used language well <laughs> yeah it's like there's uh it doesn't mean having to sacrifice complexity you can convey really complex ideas in a way that people from many different walks of life and experiences can grasp and that to me is true mastery where mm -hmm. it's uh, it feels simple but it's not it's just it feels like you're just having a chat, but it's the result of a ton of work behind it and an understanding. And now you can distill it in a way that's relaxed and spontaneous. But it doesn't come from relaxation and spontaneity. It comes from a fuckload of work early on, a lot of preparation, a lot of young, until eventually you learn how to let go and what's left is the good stuff. Yeah. When... Uh I think telling a story is really beautiful mm -hmm. for that because, and you see it with a lot of famous kids' stories. Like you'll hear Jordan Peterson talking about his understanding of all of these kids' stories from, you know, Peter Pan mm -hmm. or, um, you know, Pinocchio or something like that. And I was entertained by those stories as a kid and I got a fraction of sure. it and mostly got enjoyed the story. Yeah. But really looking at it from the lens of a philosopher and a lens of mm -hmm. someone who understands mythology and the mythos that it's expressing you're like whoa yep. that was fucking deep yep you know there are layers there are layers yep. and layers and that's the beautiful part about a story is it's it's just ready you know the the master appears when the student is ready you know the teaching appears so it's the same with the Tao Te Ching like exactly what I was about I to read say. this it's at like, 25 yeah. and I was like yeah cool good advice yep. you know but now I'm reading it again and it's like whoa little deeper uh -huh. little de yeah absolutely I do with the Tao Te Ching there's a collect one of the first collection of Zen stories I ever read was called Zen Flesh Zen Bones and it's these 101 uh, Zen tales first time I read it there were two that I thought were genius three or four that I was like, I kind of get it. It seems good, but I don't know. 
and 90 whatever many left that I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. I think now I'm about 30, where I'm like, uh, (laughs) some I really love, some I really get, and then 70 or so, I have no idea what the hell they are doing. And each time there's like, oh, now there's one more. This one clicked. These now make perfect sense to me. Yeah. But it's it's a process. I want to check that book out for sure. All right, let's move on to passage four. The Tao is like a well, used but never used up. It is like the eternal void filled with infinite possibilities. It is hidden but always present. I don't know who gave birth to it. It is older than God. So we talked about this already a little bit. That's such beautiful poetry. (laughs) That really is. Even before you go into the meaning, just like, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is really expressing, this was the passage that I was referencing, Uh but this is really it. This is what we're talking about is that is the substance, it's the substrate before God was even God. Yep. You know, it was just the possibility of God was the Tao, mm-hmm. you know, and God was, and then call God the, the yes, the Om, right? yep. but it was like the Tao was there yep. first. It's the energy, <laughs> yes. Yeah, man, that's good. Gives me chills thinking about that. But uh, I don't know who gave birth to it. It is older than God. Yeah, like where did that come from? What, why, like, oh, it is in that way. Like, what, it's just always, it's, it's, and then that's the thing you you get wrapped in oh it was infinitely there Uh fuck and that's what i love the honesty right the honesty is beautiful i don't know it's like you're taking me so far back (laughs) that it's out of my pay grade like what gives birth to the infinite yeah it's like i don't know the infinite just is yeah but we can't conceive of that we can't conceive of anything outside the confines of time like, your uh, ski trip preacher will like be bending over back or trying <laughs> yeah. to find a way to explain it yeah, and totally. like oh it me it's like i don't know there's something that's predates human experience by so much that predates divine experience yeah predates everything uh, there what's the starting point of the starting point right yeah, it's yeah. like uh, it's too much it's yeah. beyond, more than we can handle and <sighs> It's good. Yeah. Makes me excited. Yeah. yeah. All right. Moving on. 22. If you want to become whole, let yourself be partial. If you want to become straight, let yourself be crooked. If you want to become full, let yourself be empty. If you want to be reborn, let yourself die. If you want to be given everything, give everything up. The master, by residing in the Tao, sets an example for all beings. Because he doesn't display himself, people can see his light. Because he has nothing to prove, people can trust his words. Because he doesn't know who he is, people recognize themselves in him. Because he has no goal in mind, everything he does succeeds. UA 101, yeah, right? That's, that's where it. it's at. Mm-hmm. There's also a piece on judgment here too, because like a lot of times we will put the value proposition, whole, straight, full, mm-hmm. reborn, you know, everything, having everything. These are the things we want. Yep. Everything that's the opposite of that is bad. Right. Right. But when you have this, when you're in locked in judgment, there's some part of you that's locked in fear, mm-hmm. some part of you that's held back. And to recognize the totality of yourself, right, you have to recognize the crookedness 
in your straightness. You have to recognize your partiality and your wholeness. You have to recognize all of this and then not judge it because then it even puts it farther crystallized away from you and you're, you're almost damning an aspect of yourself, yep. which is going to just hinder you on the path to actually getting where you want to go. Yeah, I mean, think like anything you want to learn is going to involve a lot of mistakes. If you have a judgment that you don't allow yourself to make mistakes, guess what? You're not going to learn. <laughs> That's just how it is. It's like you cannot be great at something before you ever try it. It's like, you're going to fuck up and you're going to fuck up again and again and again. And the more you judge yourself and you're holding and going like, I shouldn't fuck up, the more it's going to take you. It's kind of like that Zen parable about like, I really want to learn this. How long is it going to take? 10 years. But what if I train twice as hard? Well, then 30 years. And it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm putting more energy. It's like, yeah, that's the problem. You're like, you're putting too much in it. You right. know, it's like, let it has its own course. Take it. It has a flow. Go with that. The moment you reject that process, then you're bound to make that mistake a lot more because you don't immediate, you don't learn from it, you don't go through it, you're holding back, you're judging yourself, and you just don't allow and yourself. You start to make chance. all because our judge. So when we judge ourselves, we withhold love from ourselves, yep. and we withhold love from the world that might be trying to reach us because we feel that we don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. And that act of withholding that love from ourselves then causes us to. It's so painful. That's the most painful thing is mm -hmm. the withholding of love. Love is the most beautiful force to feel in, in, in the universe. And then the withholding of it is hell. Yeah. So of course we're afraid of hell. It's like a child who's afraid of getting grounded. What do you do? You lie. You lie <laughs> if you're afraid of getting grounded. Yeah. If you have a you know really authoritarian parent figure and they're punishing you for this, you know, like, I don't know if I'll tell it so who, but someone very close to me, mm -hmm. their parent grounded them for a year because she was listening to a hip-hop album when she was in high school Jesus. a year right so what did she do did she stop listening to hip-hop no, of course not. no she just fucking lied better of course you know like lied better and that's all that's all it is but we do that with ourselves. yeah so when we punish ourselves by withholding love for this thing mm -hmm. that we have oh i sense this part of me that was turned on by this thing or that did or was selfish in this way yeah. and we punish ourselves then we just don't look at it we'll lie to ourselves and say no i didn't do that there's the justifications why and this why it made sense and so we start to trick ourselves and then we prevent ourselves from actually being virtuous yeah. by embracing our lack of virtue it's the problem with repression why it never works yeah. right because if your way to solve something is by repressing a part of yourself you're just empowering it and letting it grow, grow, grow in the darkness. And the more you try to squash it, the more it's gonna come out in a really unhealthy way. That's why when you see a lot of philosophers, not everybody who's like hardcore celibate has issues, but many people are because it doesn't come natural to them. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an effort of the wheel where they are like, I need to squash my sexuality because it doesn't fit with my idea of what a good person is. And guess what? That's where suddenly you get like the Ted Aggart of the world, you know, busted doing math with a gay hooker kind of thing. It's like, couldn't it have been just a little easier about masturbation and stuff? It's like, maybe you didn't have to go that far. It's like, yeah, for sure. It's like, just you are a little more accepted of yourself, but you didn't have to turn into this weird hidden monster that you are hiding from everyone, but you can't really stop because it's part of you. 
and there's more honesty in it toward yourself, toward others. There's more chances to learn and grow from stuff rather than pretending. Pretending is not there, rarely solves problems. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like denial is not the greatest strategy ever usually. So it's... So this is drawing me to an interlude where we can talk about Ikkyu Sojun. Yeah. Because this is, and we'll go back to reading these sure. different passages. Because here's something that when I went to Thailand, there was, you know, the monks mm -hmm. in their saffron, I yep. think was the color of their robes. And I was with my partner, Caitlin, at the time, and I could interact with them and like hand them money and touch them, but she couldn't. Of course. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like, what? Okay, I guess. Yeah. And and this was because of their chastity. But it seemed to me, how brittle is your chastity yeah. that you know my partner can't like can't pay you five dollars? Yes, you yes, know, yes. Like, how brittle is it? It's like the yeah. you know, it's like a an alcoholic that can't see a beer across yeah. the room without freaking out and running over to it and drinking it. Yeah. Well, all right, maybe if you're that fucking, if you're, yeah. if you're that hungry <laughs> yeah. for, that, for that drink, like, okay, right. I get it. But it just seems like it's reinforcing this brittleness of this concept. And if the concept is inherently universally that brittle, maybe it's the wrong fucking concept. There's a, speaking of Zen flashes and bones, there's a perfect story for this one, right? It's tailor-made. It's the story of these two monks who are in an order that discourage monks from interacting with women, right? So they have that standpoint. So they are approaching as being raining heavy, so the road is completely muddy. And they see a young woman who's trying to cross, but there's mud everywhere. She's like in her pretty clothing, doesn't, so she's trying to figure out how to cross. And one of the monks go and ask her, hey, do you want me to, do you want to hop on my back and I'll carry you across and that way you don't have to. And she's like, oh, thank you so much. So he does it, right? They go. And monk number two is just pissed <laughs> and he's just stewing for hours over this. And like hours later, he goes back to monk number one and he's like, how could you? You know, you know better than that. We're not to interact with women, particularly young and pretty like that one. What the hell did you do? And, and monk number one is like, I left that lady by the roadside. Are you still carrying her with you? you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which is fantastic, right? It's like, why? I could right. do that and leave her. And that's where it began and ended. <laughs> you know, there's right. no, it's in your damn mind that you're so clingy to this idea and you're obsessing about it. And, and again, the more you're whipping yourself about it, the more you'll cling to it. Yeah. And... I'm with you completely on that. Is uh, if you cannot handle the fires of reality around you, it's an admission of defeat mm -hmm. before you even get. It's like if you say that I cannot look at any woman, otherwise I'm just gonna be immediately thinking about her naked and wanting to have sex with her, and that's terrible because in my say, like, okay, you've already lost that game. Is like, yeah, and. And we do that a lot. I mean, as a society, as humanity, we like look at how people approach uh, the topic of sex, not only with adults or with themselves, but like if a kid is anywhere in the neighborhood, everybody shuts up or they have mm -hmm. to use euphemism or it's like, 
It's a kid. He's not an idiot. You right. can talk. Oh, he's and he like, has a phone. Guess what? He's on Pornhub. Exactly. And he's <laughs> like, like, he's seen shit you've never even seen. Right. So know? he's like, can we just do that? Have a conversation for why you sex is cool and fun, but also comes with some issues. So you sure. probably want to be a little more emotionally mature before you think to dive about it, and have that conversation in an honest way. What the hell is so hard about it? I you know. know. I know. It's it's very interesting, and that's a very complex topic that I could I think we could dive into maybe we will but I want to go back to this idea and I think uh the crazy madman Carlos Castaneda who followed some Toltec philosophy mm -hmm. he said this really well he said basically renunciation is a trap mm -hmm. because you think you were doing great things but really you're just focused on yourself yeah you know it's like oh well, I've fasted for so long congratulations what'd you do for the world it's like exactly <laughs> you yeah. know like yeah. what what did what did you how is that good for people yeah you know, like, all right, maybe if you were, there was not enough food mm -hmm. and you fasted to like, give somebody more food, great, good for you. That's yeah. very kind. You know, the people in Auschwitz who had very few rations of stale mm -hmm. bread and, and Victor Frankl saw him tear off a loaf and yeah. half of their serving and give it to somebody else. Okay, all right, now we're fucking talking. That's powerful. That, yes. Now we're talking, yeah, you know, definitely. but when you're just renouncing, you're just, it's in this almost masturbatory yeah. self-aggrandizement, you know, kind of concept yeah. of like, so there's a lot of traps in this path. And it's not that, you know, every path is valid. If you're really genuinely called to it, mm -hmm. go for it. Like live your life exactly how you want. And if this is the way that brings the best out of your life, like I'm not judging the path. I'm not just saying it's it's rife with with challenges and traps that I think are sometimes overlooked. You know, and I think probably fewer people than than most are not aware of these traps that they're falling into. And that's where I think the absolutism comes in, where no, we're not making an absolute argument like, oh, celibacy is always bad, or everybody who f depends on the reaction, depends on the result it creates. If it allow you to free up some energy and be a more loving human being and you're happier with yourself, then it clearly was the right answer. Right. If it makes you that you cannot take five bucks from the lady, because otherwise, <laughs> then I think the results are speaking loud and saying that that's not working out great. Yeah, totally. And depends. So let's talk about uh, Zen Buddhist monk, mm -hmm. Ikkyu Sojan. I'm yeah. wearing him on my shirt. And if people can see, he's drinking wine off a woman's beautiful breasts. Yes. And this was a shirt that you made. So yeah. <laughs> this was a deep understanding of this guy. And, uh, he was he was a very interesting character yeah. for history. So tell us tell us some stories about this He's man. He's my old time hero. Is <laughs> uh, when people ask me one historical figure that stand above and beyond for you, I'm like Ikyusodron. No hesitation. <laughs> He's my guy. Uh -huh. um, I was introduced to Ikky by the writer Tom Robbins, guy um, still life with Woodpecker, another outside attraction. That guy, right? I love Tom Robbins. I find him. Phenomenal writer, and um, and I love Zen. So when he told me about this guy, I'm like, how do I not know about him? I need to dive in. So I started reading, and DQ is like Bugs Bunny in a Zen kind of way. He's <laughs> hilarious. He's a trickster. He's funny, and he's also really profound at the same time. Yeah. His story is a trippy one. I'll try to make it quick, like a quick bio of him. He lived in the, I think he was born at the very end of the 1300s, going into the 1400s. He was the legitimate son of the emperor of Japan. 
right when he was born, there were like palace conspiracies kind of thing. His mom was afraid that somebody may try to kill him to get rid of a possible claimant to the throne. So she put him when he was five years old in a Zen monastery, kind of to say, look, look, he's that he's going to be a Zen monk. You guys don't have to worry about it because... Mm -hmm. Uh, jealousy among concubines. Kind I mean, of that stuff. was it was crazy. I watched this show on Netflix it's called mm -hmm. Age of the Samurai. Yeah, they were some fucking killing, yeah, manipulating Machiavellian. It was wild. Yep, and that's exactly what she's afraid of. So he's like, please let him live. He's gonna be a happy little <laughs> Zen monk. He is yeah, gonna yeah. have nothing to do with anything. So the guy grows up without his father really without his mother, because he got to only see her once in a while, he grows up in the very stern, strict, severe thing of a Zen monastery. It's not the recipe for the per perfect, joyful life right, right. there. And IQ is, uh, as he grows up, he has this incredible grasp of Zen, and precisely because of that, he puts him at odds with so much of the Zen establishment, because the way EQ describes it, so much of the Zen establishment become largely corrupt, largely more worried about money and donations for patrons than for the essence of it all. Mm -hmm. So to a point where he's regularly clashing, even with some of his own teachers, like there's a point where in Zen, there's this really weird thing where a quote-unquote enlightened master, however you want to define that, is to sign a certificate of enlightenment to prove that you are enlightened, that you made it, that you achieved it. That's like your spiritual PhD, and if you get it, clap, 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 now you can go teach and be. And IQ got his certificate, and he was like, he burned it. And he's like, how can you, you know, that's the thing that opened, I'm like, certificate of enlightenment, seriously, that's what we're doing here. It's like, fuck you guys, it's like, let's be real. So at one point they are trying to rope him in and they give him, uh, they make him the head of this one smaller monastery saying, oh, maybe the responsibilities, because he was a bit of a wild guy, but he was also brilliant. So they're like, mm -hmm. oh, we, at one point nobody can find him a few days later. And he's like, where the hell did he go? And they go to his quarters and they find this poem that he left behind where basically he's saying, look, nine days in this monastery, I'm losing my mind by now. If anybody come looking for me, I'm either at the brothel or at the sake shop. See you guys. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what? You're supposed to be the spiritual master. And so much of his thing is aiming at one issue, which is the artificial separation between sacred and profane. Mm -hmm. He's saying there is no such thing. If you cannot find the sacred in the most mundane circumstances in life, you're not going to find it meditating on a mountain away from everything and everybody. The sacred, is, uh, the sacred is a state of consciousness. The sacred is how you approach things. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. So if you cannot... And so in that sense, he has this very... He digs sex. He did drinking. He digs uh, Zen. He digs... To him, there's no separation between those things. It's like, if you do it in a certain way, anything can be sacred yeah. and vice versa. If you do it in another way, the most stereotypically sacred activity is bullshit. It's an ego trip and has nothing to do with. So you can be meditating there in your robes and stuff and it's all an act. It's There's nothing spiritual about it. Yeah, it's like it's like the the husk without the corn. You know? Exactly. It's like it's, it's just missing the essence of what this is really all about. Yep. And, and that's, I think, something we do in so many different religions like that that is such an important concept mm -hmm. of like find the sacred in everything you know and whether that's a mystical teacher i follow paul selig is like unless mm -hmm. you can find god in the mud and in the shit, 
You don't know God. That's exactly the you same. You just don't concept. know, unless yes. you can find Zen and yeah. sex, and Zen and sake, and Zen and <laughs> yeah. you know, like exactly. whatever. You don't know Zen yeah. either. You don't know how to savor every moment and treat every moment as if it's. That is the essence of Zen. That's what they're talking about. Like, just it is the ultimate. Just this. It's like, oh, you're pouring tea. Just this. Right. It's like doing one thing at a time and relishing it. Yep. Presence, knowing that presence is the magical beauty. That we're all craving it's the ecstasy of it people think oh yeah there's that new relationship energy when you meet someone well what is that you're just present mm -hmm. you're just present because your desire is driving you to, to presence yep. and the newness and the novelty is driving you to presence which is creating awe yep. and creating all of these feelings it's, that's the only that's the big difference you know <laughs> that's that's a, that's why something new is is powerful because for a moment we stop all of the fucking other stuff we're thinking about and we're like wow and every moment has wow possibility mm -hmm. if you're right there with it. Yeah, because you're looking at it with new eyes, with unfiltered eyes. You're not projecting your expectation yeah. or your past history or your whatever. You're seeing this person, there's that magic. Whereas after a while, you take it for granted, you see what you want to see. And that's to me the essence of the game, right? It's finding that, uh, I mean, we are. It's funny that too is hilarious. Like, you know, there's a classic Zen saying about kind of sleeping where you're tired and uh, eating when you're hungry kind of thing. The full quote, it got a lot more scatological. It got in like, peace, shit, and be human, right? It gets very... <laughs> yeah. And even the fact that people only quote the first half and skip the second tells you that they completely miss the point. Yeah. Because it's like, embrace the human experience. And that's a layer of consciousness in everything that you do. And that's where it's at. That's where you find the sacred. You don't find it in like mystical clouds of incense. They are a part of life. They are great along with everything else. Yeah. And so EQ becomes, of course, this kind of jester because he's always poking at the stuffiness and the rigid rules that are missing it's the point. It's almost like the, the, the virtue of the Hayoka. Exactly. That's you know, exactly that, what that it coyote, is. coyote, the trickster yeah. medicine that yeah. keeps things from being too rigid yeah. and too, too dogmatic by just doing the opposite thing. Oh, you're supposed to circle the lodge fire this way? Okay, I'm going to go the other yes. way. Oh, you're fasting? Let me eat this fucking... Yeah delicious fruit in front of your face and see how you handle it like this is an essential quality to any spirituality to prevent it from getting stale yeah. and lifeless and dead and that's what he is he's uh you you said it perfectly he's the zen heyoka right he's mm -hmm. he has that energy in a zen context and that's how he is throughout his life and what i love about it is that many people who play fast and lose with the rules very often they end up doing it in a self-serving way. Right. Where suddenly it's like the cult leader who's uh, having sex with everybody's wives right. because it's like power, 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 and uh, all the wealth somehow flows to me and all that stuff. Right. EQ play fast and lose with the rules, but you never hear a story of people saying, well, he was kind of a dick about it. He was like, he's just a very free human being, but not an abusive human being, not a predatory, I'll use the lack of rules just for me and screw you kind of thing. That never shows up, which is very rare because mm -hmm. many cases where sometimes you see people who have brilliant ideas, you're like, oh, that's great. I like the flexibility. I like the non-dogmatic approach. Oh, and then you had to become a cult leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, miss that opportunity. You see that time you know? and time again. Whereas with TQ, he comes across as a genuinely kind guy as somebody who is just a good human being to others, but he's also having a blast. He's also not bound by the same uh, restrictions that many people are. 
And I love that combination. I like that. Uh, I mean, in some ways, like the prototype of the the good bad boy, right? He's like, he's enough of a bad boy because he's clashing against the rules, but he does it also in a way that's never like the downside of the stereotype of the bad boy, who's kind right. of a dick and selfish and all of that. Right. So to me, it's like, that's the perfect now right there, right? He's like, he's just at that edge between these two opposite energy and he keeps them at the right balance. And he's like that throughout his life. He's, uh, shortly before he died, which by the way, he had a really long life. He had this thing that was hilarious where he tells his disciples, you know, after I'm gone, I know some of you guys are gonna mostly spend your time around ladies and some of you are gonna do this. And, uh, you know, those paths are fine by me. Those are good Zen. <laughs> but if you become a professional cleric and start blabbing about Zen as the way, then you're my enemy. It's <laughs> <That was> like... <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, the truth is that if you can practice Zen while making love and having mm -hmm. sex, that's the hardest to practice. Because I'll give this example. When I was around day four or five of my darkness retreat, mm -hmm. I was dealing with so much, you know, stress and emotional stuff coming up and visions of all kinds of really heavy things that were happening. But then somewhere around day five of just being in the black, completely denied everything, and my thoughts naturally not gravitating towards anything sexual at all, sure. I started thinking about sex, and I started feeling, because you're so sensitive in that mm -hmm. point. It's just feelings. It's all you have are your feelings. And so everything that comes up is so strong. And I started feeling the feelings that come from that lust and pleasure and that, and it was like, oh, God, this is strong. No, yeah. Like, whoa, this is fucking intense. Yep. And it's almost so intense, it's it's almost like it's like being tickled. Like mm -hmm. you can't not move around to try to escape, <laughs> even though the feeling's yeah. good. Yeah. Like to really be there while you're being tickled uh -huh. and not numb the tickling with your mind not being tickled, but just be infinitely tickled. That's right. Fuck, that's yeah. hard. Yeah. You know, even though the feeling, the sensation is pleasurable. Nonetheless, like to really be there and not move away from it or or at least numb it or dull it out a little bit. Like to practice Zen in making love, that is that is a it's a fucking beautiful and powerful thing, but it's it's challenging to do that. It's it's I think almost probably easier to pour tea right. in the Zen way. Like yeah. it's a you can just it's hard because you gotta have very you know, concentration and mm -hmm. being present. But you can do it, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but like- In the it, middle of sweaty, grimy yeah, yeah. sex is a bit, uh, yeah. yeah. I, there are two, I guess, two things that come to mind about that. One thing about tea ceremony that's interesting, by the way, is that it was actually one of Ikkyu's disciples who created the tea ceremony as we know it as like this Zen ritual, you know, tea mm -hmm. ceremony kind of existed as a social thing. He made it a Zen thing. Mm. So Ikkyu actually had a, indirectly had a huge impact on Japanese cultural life because one of his guys was the guy who started tea ceremony. Another one was influential in no theater. They played a big role in like poetry and calligraphy. So a ton of Japanese cultural arts go back to kind of the guys following him around because mm -hmm. they dug him. And then the other thing that was coming to mind regarding what you say on the sexual stuff is like the beautiful part about that is that if you mess up, the practice is still good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, there are worse things to practice getting good at, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, like, totally. it's like, oh, I was ah, not quite so... into the Zen of it. You know what? Let's try again. Fucking good anyway. <laughs> I need about three hours, yes. so let's try again. Yes. For sure. Exactly. Yeah, and there's a, a great quote that he has as well, and this quote is, 
throw me into hell and I'll find a way to enjoy it. If you have to, if you put a gun to my head and you say, pick one quote out of all of literature that you love more than anything, that's the one. Mm -hmm. That's just, doesn't get any better than that, right. right? Throw me into hell and I'll find a way to enjoy it. He's not denying that some stuff sucks, right? <laughs> yep. He's not denying. Because so many people, especially in spiritual circles, they try to spin it. It's like, no, look, it's a gift. It's something. No, sometimes it sucks. It's sometimes hell. sometimes just, it's hell. It's don't, you know, piss on my head and tell me it's raining kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's just bad, right? There's no spinning it. So he's saying, yeah, it's hell. We agree. But you know what? I'm going to find a way around. I'm going to find something, even in the shittiest situation, to make it okay for me. Yeah. Now, of course, some of it is a boast because the reality is that if you apply enough pressure to a human being, there is a breaking point for sure. everybody. So magic only goes so far. However, them mad, you know, the reality is that some people, they can be freaked out and flipped out and mad for three days because somebody cut them off in traffic and somebody can survive Auschwitz and be okay. So clearly the range is, there's a huge range in there in which you can find ways to deal with progressively more uncomfortable situation and handle them well. Again, with some limits, but those limits can be stretched dramatically. Yeah. And that's the goal ultimately. It's such a message of personal sovereignty of saying like, all right, what you, we're not denying that what you're in sucks. And I'm, I'm, I'm not claiming that I know the way, you know, like there's not one rule, one, one application fits all. Oh, well, where in you, you're in hell, you just accept it. And then yep. the surrender, there's always the, there's <laughs> right. always the, you know, redemption of this moment yeah that's not what he's saying he's not. like i'll find a way yeah to enjoy it like i trust myself so much that in any situation that's awful i i just believe i have faith in myself that i'll figure out a way to enjoy it yeah and that's like that's fucking awesome that's powerful you know because then you apply that to anything that you're afraid of mm -hmm. oh i'm afraid of getting sick in this way or getting cancer or getting dementia or getting this but if you really believe that like all right whatever hell this is you know, I'm afraid of this injury or this losing my money, whatever hell this is, I'm going to find a way to enjoy it, yeah. you know? And that's, and you can really believe that you're free. You're free. You're free of fear. Yeah. That's why it's just such a beautiful concept. Yeah. And it's in so few words. That's like the simplicity, right? Mm -hmm. You can, I'm, I'm sure you all have read a similar concept expressed in different ways, but it's a little clunkier. It gets sure. very few words and capture it perfectly. And I love that about him. And he had a rough life. You know, he grew up without parents. He grew up in this kind of stern environment. He lived through the beginning of a period that was like massive civil war in Japan that destroyed the capital where he was living, had to flee, had to see so people dying of starvation in the street. He had to deal with some heavy shit in his life. He wasn't all easy. And he still had that attitude. So, you know, it's easy when you're like some people who are like, okay, you have been lucky from day one. Uh, I like it. It's still a good concept, but it's a little easier. The guy lived through some real shit. So he's like, he, he has dealt with hell. And yet he still got to say it. I'm like, okay, well, then you win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, totally. when, uh, that's when you add. Yeah, he's, he's walked the walk to some <laughs> yeah. degree. And I mean, some of it, I have to kind of almost take back what I'm saying because some of it, it's impossible for somebody else to judge from the outside because you can look at somebody's life and think like, what do you ever have to complain about? You had it great from day one. 
but you never really know the kind of internal mountains well, that they it's had like to Elon climb. Musk on Joe Rogan he said he looks very serious and he says you wouldn't want to be me right you know saying that to the audience like you wouldn't want to be me yeah like I know oh I'm Elon Musk I've done all of these things I'm so rich right. I can get divorced twice and give a billion each time and it's like <laughs> no right. you know like that's how rich I am yeah and, it doesn't fucking matter uh -uh. you know and people project that on me they project that on of i'm course. sure you and everybody you know when it's like oh well yeah it must be nice yeah like, it's like you don't know you don't know you what don't know. and then, is and then going. someone you know famous commits suicide like mm -hmm. robin williams or heath ledger and they're just like eh, anomaly yeah you know it's not it's not it's like it's, not it's all. always a subjective experience like nobody knows mm -mm. the burden that somebody else is carrying and the demons that they're having to face big time you know, I think it's easier for people when they recognize something objective that they recognize as hell, then they're like, oh, you earned it. But the reality right. is that they may have earned it and you just don't know it because you can't tell. That's right. all. Yeah, because the external is typically easier to face than the internal. Of course, right. there's, there's no absolutes, right? No. The internal is always easier to, you know. <laughs> like sometimes. No, sometimes the external is fucking Being brutal. tortured by eyes, this <laughs> yeah, is pretty yeah. bad. Exactly. <laughs> but the internal is, is very challenging. And the external, you... Because we can apply practice that we have. Oh, there's this external problem. All right, yeah. let me overcome it. Let me figure this thing out. And there, in the doing of it, in the clarity of the doing, so much of the pain of the internal is the confusion yeah. and the frustration and the self doubt and mm -hmm. the, you know, even if you're moving a giant pile of sand with one teaspoon and that's all you get to do. Well, you know you're making progress and you know what to do and you can endure it yep. in a way because there's clarity and there's just the labor and the pain, mm -hmm. but when you don't know what your spoon is and you don't know what the mountain is, but all you know is you're suffocating yeah. and drowning in this sand and you just need to get out. Well, that's, it's tough. Yeah, and that's, that's why anxiety difficult. sucks, right? right? It's like he, from the outside looking in, he's like, the hell are you so anxious about? There's nothing there that you should be anxious about. And he's like, I know it and I can breathe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. That's even worse that you whip yourself because it's like, I don't even have a reason to feel this way. Yeah. And it becomes the repression and all the stuff we we're talking about. Yeah. It's, the mind is a, it's a strange it's a place. Yes. It's a beast. <laughs> and then talking about the mind, the, the mind is such a strange place because there's no, it's boundaryless when mm -hmm. you really think about it. Because as we we're talking about, like we're connected to the field of others. We're reading each other yep. and our mind is influenced both from a physiological standpoint, potentially by the mirror neuron effect, but also by the heart field that's mm -hmm. being projected by the energy, by the neurotransmitters that are happening. Like so many things are happening in the mind. And then in my own belief system, there's a mind that continues to exist beyond death but it's slightly different than our current mind and then is it all not just the one the one mind of god is mm -hmm. like schrodinger says the sum total of conscious minds in the universe is one right you know like it's so it's like whoa, it's so hard to grapple with it that's is why you know uh there's that saying like you can walk in fire and and tame an elephant and live in ice but mastering of the mastery of the mind is better and more difficult yeah you know because it's like all of these alchemical magical things that you can do yeah impressive but how about clap, this thing clap, clap. <laughs> how, about, how about this thing yeah. it's right right here that you're dealing with it's kind of like the buddhist thing where they say uh master master i'm be able to teletransport outside of my body and i'm seeing all these deities he's like don't worry meditate a little more they're gonna go away <laughs> like, Wait, what i thought he was special yeah, totally like, 
that's not the point <laughs> yeah yeah for sure all right let's go back to the uh let's that go back to the book let's see we're slightly random because i just made little notations all right the master who has no mind of her own the master has no mind of her own she works with the mind of the people she is good to people who are good she is also good to people who aren't good <laughs> this is true goodness she trusts people who are trustworthy she also trusts people who aren't trustworthy this is true trust so this is something that we were we were talking about as well and this is kind of getting again very mystical uh -huh. understandings but also really practical in a way let's see where i want to approach it i think there's there's a line in nietzsche that say that if you are if you want to be a sun you have to shine for everybody you don't get to choose who you shine for it's like if you're a sun you're a sun you mm -hmm. shine you just give the heat and warmth to everybody you see and there's something there very relatable where it's like if you want to be a certain kind of person, you're going to try to be that person regardless of what feedback somebody else is giving you back. You want to put that out there because it makes you happy, because it's your nature, because it's who you want to be. And uh, somebody responds well to it, that's great. Somebody's been an asshole to you, I'm not doing it for you that way. I am and I'm not, you know what I mean? It's like, it's it's the nature that I want to express out in the world. Maybe I'm going to find a different way to try to convey the, what they refer to as goodness, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm going to find a way that may click better with you, but I'm not going to give up on that goal. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we're human, so we get frustrated, right? And it's like, you want to be nice, you want to be sweet, you want to be helpful, and you get slammed in the face. And it's like, oh, that didn't feel good. Let me try another way. And you get slammed mm -hmm. in the face again. Sometime, you know, you find a way at the second, third attempt. Sometime by attempt number seven, you're like, I think I'm done being slammed <laughs> in the face. I think like yeah. the Punisher is about to come out now, you know? And My. I get that. And I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I'm in a place where I... I'm above that. I'm not. To me, in I don't fact, think any it's, human uh, can. I think what no. this is talking about. This is an ideal. Yeah, it's like it an, it's an idea that you we have to distill in the ways that we can distill it. If we take it as literal, yeah, then it's, it's we're missing the point. Yeah, you're weep yourself because you'll never live up to it. Ultimately, it's like you can live up to it a lot, but with limits. And I think there's something powerful in there about the fact that the moment you express a certain quality to even people who may not, quote-unquote, deserve it. You may actually tweak something in them that will, like, when you start trusting people who are not trustworthy and you show them love and you show them trust, there are cases, not always, but there are cases where that person will suddenly feel motivated to be worthy of that trust, yeah. to feel like, oh, shit, this person is actually they believe in me more than nobody else believed in me the way this person is. This person is actually willing to give me a try and when I fail, give me a try again. Oh shit, maybe I should try to live up to that. It feels good. It mm -hmm. feels really good to be trusted. That's worth a shot. That's, that's alchemical magic. 
right? Is that, really that's is. that ability to, and if you are just a judgmental little asshole said, ah, oh, you messed up the one time I gave you a chance, so forget it, you're done forever. It's like, you're right, I get it. But if you have strength, if you can take the people failing in you in whatever way they failed you and still be able to bring back to, okay, let's try again. Then you have a shot to help somebody life in a dramatic fashion. Again, ultimately you got to help yourself before you're able to help others. So you can only do it to a point. You right. can only open your door to people so much sure. if they abuse it. But it's a good goal. It's a good thing to keep like, can I open it one more time? Can we do this? Because if I can, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It's worth a shot. Yeah, you have to read the particular situation. I, I think about an employee that we had it on it and he was an incredibly talented programmer mm -hmm. and he, but he was an alcoholic mm -hmm. and addict of other sorts. Yep. And everybody was like, you know, look, he's drinking at work. He's like, this is, we gotta get him out of yep. here. He's a lost cause. And I was like, all right, maybe, but I'm going to talk to him and I hear you, you know, like all of these are legit. We can't have this, but, and you know, it, it was mentioned before and he was still, and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go out to lunch and I'm going to talk to him just heart to heart, man to man. And at the end of that, we'll, we'll see. And I was like, I really believed in him. I was like, listen, I know what's going on and I know all of that, but I like, I see what you're capable of and I, I believe in you. Like I know that there's something more that's waiting to emerge. And it was interesting. It was like, there was resistance at first. And then there was like, oh wow, he's, yeah. Aubrey's really serious. Like mm -hmm. he really believes this. He really sees my good and he trusts me to, you know, in a way that I haven't felt before. And in that, in that experience, then he came back and he wasn't perfect, but slowly by slowly he started getting better and, and like, that vision that I held for him became the vision that he adopted. It's like I cleared the way in some way for that thing which was always a part of him. It yep. was always true. You know, what you see in somebody is always true, it's, mm -hmm. but it's just, are they gonna actualize that? Right. But if you focus on the part of them that's, in, that's negative, well, that's gonna reinforce that thing. But if you focus on that, the good, the good in them, mm -hmm. that gives them the possibility to move forward and achieve that and become that. And then over the next, he was with us another six years, was huge in building our entire infrastructure and brought us not all the way to the end, but pretty damn close right. along on the path. And it was it was this beautiful story of that one moment. And there's so many instances like that where you still have to have boundaries, right? But even, beyond, even behind the boundary, can you see the good and see the, and trust, even though you say, I, I just can't, you can't even in a situation like that maybe it comes to the point where like you just can't work here anymore yeah. but i see you yeah. and i see the good and i know what you're capable mm -hmm. of and i believe that and i would always in those instances try to leave someone with that even when i had to express the boundary it wasn't like you're employed here forever no matter no, what because i'm just going to see you're good and no. trust you but it is super super powerful and, and with parenting too we yeah. talked about that as well like seeing that in your kids you know is so important and the parenting one, when the failure of that is really unexcusable, because whereas with adults, you have to deal with a ton of baggage from life that they bring. And so you can do some amazing things and maybe you can pull it off and they're the place where they are at and your message is exactly what they need at the moment and it clicks. Big transformation, you save their life, fantastic. But there are times when somebody's carrying so much baggage that you can help, you can help, you can lap, and it's 
limited yeah. how much you can. And sometimes you have to say, okay, you know, that's just how much I have in me in terms of ability to give to you. And but with kids, they are your kids. They they don't come with a baggage. They the baggage they will get is the one you pass on to them. <laughs> so it's like yeah. if you cannot create a trusting environment where kids where they trust you and you don't have to lay down the law and go hard about you don't do this, don't do that. As you were telling me before, like in the classic, before I said so, right? You are mm-hmm. saying that's such a terrible sentence. But you do it because they they trust you because you they know that you have their back. They know that you're looking out for them. They know that you're not trying to squash their fun, but you're having a discussion with them about, hey, this is why I think this may be an issue for you. This is why I think this is dangerous. This is why, but let's have a conversation about it. If you convince me that you can do these things in a safe way that you're going to be happy with, I'm game. Let's talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. And you build an environment of trust you never have to worry about all that bullshit. The classic teenager rebellion of like, they have to lie to you to defy your authority. There's nothing to defy. I'm not putting hard lines. Uh, I want you to be healthy and happy. Do you disagree with that? I don't think so. So, okay, let's work with that. You yeah, know? as you said, it's all strategy from there. Yeah. Like you agree on the basic premises and then let's talk about the strategy. Yeah. And this is something the, the Dow talks about all the time. Like it's, when you get infatuated with your knowledge, mm-hmm. your belief that you know something, this is a big this is a big mistake. And we might get to this passage, but if we do, we'll brush over mm-hmm. it. But it's a big mistake when you really are sure that you know something, when you have epistemological certainty yeah. about something. You don't. No, no we don't know anything, Mm-mm. really. No. You know, like we have our own perspective because we're always, we're always chained to our perspective mm-hmm. and our perspective is always limited. No. You know, so we don't see anything perfectly clear, especially when it's talking about a human dynamic. So if you're not open to listening and mm-hmm. potentially changing your mind, you're fucking lost. You know, like and so opening that up, like, all right, let me let's talk about it. Let's talk about all of these situations. Let's see if my interpretation is actually better, or if you have information on the ground that actually makes more sense than me, because I'm thinking about I have this idea about what this party is gonna be like. But I don't fucking know. Exactly. So what is it? And is that actually dangerous? Okay. Yep. Is it something that's truly dangerous? What is it going to cause? Like, there's so many nuances to it. It's just opening that conversation. And I'm really blessed. That's what my parents did. Yeah. And that stuff creates a level of self-confidence in a kid that you cannot duplicate. Because it's like the moment where a kid comes up to you and suddenly you change your mind because something they said, where you go like, you know what? I think you're right. I think you are absolutely right. I think I was going with a preconceived notion or fuck, man, I'm sorry. I messed up that one. You were right and I was off. (laughs) Yeah. That does not diminish your authority. That makes you 10 times more trustworthy because you're not a dogmatic little shit who's going to go like, I'm right no matter what. (laughs) You are a person who's treating them with respect of another person. And when they are right, they are right. And you're like, 100%. 100%. We should have done your way. Sorry, I insisted on that. I, I messed up. Yeah. And to me... And it, thank you for illuminating my own biases. Exactly. You know, and like having exactly. that honest self-reflection. Like, wow, I was really biased about that, but I was wrong. And the kid at that point pat themselves on the <laughs> yeah. back of like, man, I'm good. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. And also appreciate your honesty. The fact that, oh, this is not somebody who's trying to squash my fun. This is somebody who's looking out for me with the best tools they have and they are going to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, I look forward to that adventure myself. Yep. 
is I like talking about parenting, but I have no kids. Right. So it's like, <laughs> shut the fuck up, Aubrey. Like, what are you talking about parenting for? So I'm like, no, I have kids. See, and now I'm a fucking qualified. I think you're going to enjoy the adventure. Yeah, I think sure. based on everything that you are, and I think it's going to be a good thing. Yeah, I agree. The mark of a moderate man, this is it. The mark of a moderate man is freedom from his own ideas. Tolerant like the sky, all pervading like sunlight, firm like a mountain, supple like a tree in the wind. He has no destination in view and makes use of anything. Life happens to bring his way. Makes use of anything, life happens to bring his way. So the first part is what we're talking about. Yep. Freedom from your own ideas. Because mm -hmm. those things can get fixed. It's like they crystallize. And even from a neurotransmitter perspective and a neuron perspective, I should say neuron perspective, they'll, they'll crystallize in your mind, like, dish, yep. and they'll land. And then the more times you travel your idea, the deeper it gets and the harder it is to change your mind. But when you can be supple in mm -hmm. your neuronal pathways, like uh, that's in full neuroplasticity of, ah, uh, I'm just exploring, willing to explore all of these things and I haven't carved these grooves of my own dogma. Ooh, then you're free. Because otherwise you slip into the same mm -hmm. preconceived notions, the same cognitive biases. Yeah, the openness to experience. I mean, it's so funny how so many, in so many instances in life, the majority of people have an idea of how things should be and then try to fit reality in that preconceived idea as opposed to saying, I have no ideas. I am gonna take experience and whatever experience tells me, I'm gonna draw my conclusions from it. Yeah. It's not exactly rocket science. I mean, it <laughs> seems pretty straightforward, right? It's like you base conclusion on evidence. I don't make up a conclusion and then try to tailor the evidence. It's basic approach to anything really, but somehow it's rare because people get infatuated with certain ideas or maybe that idea work once or maybe twice or maybe three times and so now it's your salvation to the dangers and the uncertainty of reality so now i'm gonna apply it every time except you also apply it when it doesn't really work mm -hmm. and oh no but it cannot be because that's my sacred idea so it must work it's the reality that's wrong so i need to either lie about the evidence or come up with an explanation why it is but but they, these cannot be wrong and it's like it's a tool. It's a great hammer. You had a nail. You had to drive something in the wall. That was great. Hammered with spaghetti, not so great. It's like <laughs> different context, right? It's not saying it's bad. It's just it works in a context and not in another. And I think the openness that they are talking about that is that ability to roll with whatever life is feeding you and adapt to it. And so rather than try to filter it through this preconceived idea, you're just going with what's right in front of you. Yeah. Ideas can very quickly become identity. Yeah. I mean, really, that's what's all we are. Who I am Aubrey. That's an idea. Aubrey is an idea. And it's an idea that's been created by me and then reflected to me by everybody else around me. You know, like yeah. this, and everybody's trying to reinforce their idea of you, anyways. And this is a big is this is a big teaching from Don Miguel Ruiz. He just recently wrote a book called The Actor. And he's uh -huh. talking about in this book how we're all acting upon this idea, this persona that we're creating, and then we're responding to the audience and then we're tailoring our idea of ourselves to our audience. But 
So then within the idea of who we are, we have ideas about other things which become part of our idea. This is the person that does the thing, the pen that draws the thing or the pen that you know pokes the hole, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an idea with a function and then with a belief system and it's all entangled together. And then the ego attaches the part of you that says, I am not everything, I am this idea. I am this idea. And then something challenges that idea and you're like, ah, I'm getting attacked. Yeah. I'm, and it's, yeah, it's, it's like very much out. like the body tries to defend from physical assault. The ego tries to offend, defend from a changing of an idea because that's part of its body. Yeah. You know, and we get fucking lost in this. Why do you think, why do you think most human beings crave identity so badly? Because to me, as you are saying, it seems like it's a trap more than a gift. But clearly, must tell it must hold some strong appeal because people live and die in the name of their identity of creating an identity. They get horrendously attached to certain ideals because they help form an identity. What do you think is the draw? So I believe that you know, as we come from source and mm-hmm. come from the Tao, if you want, mm-hmm. but the the yes part of the Tao, like the yep. that in in undifferentiated energy of creation then as we birth into polarity and then we create articulation, there's a part of us that needs to resist falling right back into the all because that's not the point. The point was to be separate. So the ego is translated as I am from the Latin, right? Mm -hmm. But really what it's saying is I am not. And what it's saying is I am not God. I am not source. Mm -hmm. I am separate, you know? And, And that's a part of us. That's a part of what we are. But we're also, just because we're part of that, third dimension density we're also a part of the divine as well so they both need to be tempered the ego and the soul or the ego and consciousness whatever language is very difficult as we've Mm -hmm. described but the function of the ego is to is to cling to identity and when we're an ego driven being like an ego driven entity where it hasn't been checked and it hasn't been brought in balance with the Tao, with source Mm -hmm. with god and the everything or the nothing then we're out of balance and so that's what we're seeing is we're seeing okay we get the i am not everything part yeah and it's like we get the yang part we get the punch and move something with force we get that but we don't get the yin part just like we get the ego part but we don't get the soul and the consciousness part because that's not enforced everybody's trying to build up their persona and this is what's reinforced everybody's trying to use force to move things so that's what we get used to and Mm -hmm. i think it's just a it's a deep imbalance from a, a natural thing that can't be transcended because it's supposed to be there and supposed to be there in balance. So I guess the healthiest thing would be to have a flexible identity, like because maybe yeah. having no identity is unrealistic and it's probably not the goal sure. of the game either, but to have an identity that's uh, flexible enough that it can take many shapes and adapt to the circumstances as opposed mm-hmm. to having this rigid identity that become a prison. For sure. And wear it like a like a someone would wear a mask right i'm gonna wear this mask today i'm gonna be this person and i know this nobody's gonna actually see me and i'm just gonna adopt this thing Mm -hmm. and kind of chameleon like a dancer all the way through life like really in in this flow of flexible identity and and i think it's difficult to do certain things you'll have natural proclivities and certain things will remain stable but the more fluid you are the more fun the game is going to be and you're not doing it as a deception you're just allowing yourself to be whatever and i and i think that's another teaching from don miguel is he's not trying to be his identity he's allowing himself he's just being what he wants to be and all of his teachers don leonardo don ezekiel they're being who they want to be 
And then they're allowing everybody else to project whatever they want and just smiling at all of the projections. Like, you're this, you're this great thing. You're the, you've got the seal of enlightenment. I can see it in you already. He's <laughs> like, whatever you want right, to say, sure. you know, like, it's all good. I'll be whatever you want me to be, but yeah. I'm just me. Mm-hmm. And and that allows him to be fluid, you know, and, and he's, of all the people yeah. who truly express enlightened that I've ever met, he's the one that to me comes across that way. And he's the least attached yeah. to his own, to his own identity. He's the most fluid. That's, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's uh... it's a it's an important ideal that I think, and it's something that if we really want the world to change, like bringing that back in balance, of saying like, yes, you are you, and be you, and be whatever you want to be, and this is awesome, but also remember that you're everyone else too. And in that regard, isn't it a trip how people seem to like so often they're such opposite draw, where like think about how people go through life where you find something that you like and so you love it because it makes you feel good and now you dedicate more time to it and more time and more time and again there's it's good there's something fun about it and then it becomes basically all that you are so that um i don't know if it ever happens to you where you have maybe somebody that you know from a particular experience and you're like oh that's cool person from that experience and then you kind of dig a little deeper and you realize that that's the only experience that's all they are about it's like there's Mm -hmm. your friend from a psychedelic circle (laughs) everything about their life is about psychedelics Mm -hmm. your friend from martial arts they talk about nothing but martial arts and you're like time out martial arts are fun (laughs) but jesus christ man go out a little it's like there's something else in life you know it's like whereas why do you have to take something that's valuable and beautiful and turn it into this identity that that's all the life will be filtered through. Life speaks so many more languages out there. Learn as many as you can. It's more fun that way. You know? Because you've gotten loved for one particular thing more than another thing. Exactly. So, oh, I did this martial arts. The people in my dojo or the people in my school, yep. they loved me more. They accepted me. I was validated for this. Okay, so I'm a martial artist and this is who I am. But it comes from a deficiency in actually feeling love for yourself, no matter who you are. Same mm-hmm. with the psych. Oh, I'm loved in this psychedelic ceremony circle. I'm loved when I'm serving medicine or I'm loved when I'm doing this thing. So we create, we mold our identities to be loved. Mm-hmm. And then we forget that we molded it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we just <laughs> like, become it. We're yeah. like, oh, whoops. I mean, I did this. Oh yeah, I did this because I was seeking love for this, but we don't have that awareness. So all of a sudden this this mask, this persona that we became becomes our person. Yeah. <laughs> we're fucking in for it. Yeah. Then we're in for it at that point. Okay, I guess if that's how you want to live. Yeah, it's a prison. Yeah. It's a prison. And then, you know, some people, we all just, it's its just really like, I think both of us, I think one of the reasons why we're such great friends is we, we have such disparate Right. love of different things right. in life so we can do so many different things like we're going to finish this podcast and we're going to practice kendo in the gym after uh, we're done i would like to point out that uh, what started out as practice kendo quickly became translated into we're gonna hit each other with sticks <laughs> and then it became uh, oh by the way you know that oh but he's ridiculously competitive and uh, cannot rest until he crashes you and you're crying in a corner so yeah i'm really looking forward to that that's gonna be fun but you also heard that from people who are habitually getting crushed <laughs> projecting onto me that i actually enjoy the crush clearly is a projection <laughs> yes of course i think there's some truth to it 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's something that's there, but that doesn't mean that there's not people I play pickleball with that pretty much all I want to do is play pickleball with them. Right. Like that's like, yeah. great. I want to do that. And there's yeah. people who I want to go out to dinner with and have conversations with. And sure. there's people I want to do both, mm -hmm. you know, and it's great when there's a conflation yep. of these different things, but that's all good. Yep. You know, it's like not everybody has to be. Everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, it works, but you know, from the, for, uh, from the point of view of somebody who is many things there's no problem being one thing for a while yeah i'm just kind of thinking from the point of somebody that was just one thing is just like it's not bad what you're doing is not a scene it's not wrong it's not evil but you may find out that there's more fun in life to be had if you expand the range a little bit yeah that's all yeah i agree 63 this is there's just one part of this that i want to bring out of this the advice confront the difficult while it is still easy this is something mm. that appears a couple mm -hmm. times and yeah. i think this is this is like we have sayings like nip it in the bud yep you know we have all of these different ways to say this but this is i think the best way to say it like it may not even be completely easy but like deal with the monster before it becomes a real fucking mm -hmm. titan and again it reminds me of something jordan peterson says where he says like basically have the damn fight have the little fight before it becomes a repression yeah. and a resentment and a big thing where you explode you know that little thing that's bothering you like just say it right away like, yeah hey that kind of that kind of triggered me a little bit or you know I'm, that made me kind of feel a different way and you just deal with it smoothly and calmly before you spin on it and cycle about it and then think about all the other times and accumulate evidence and then create this whole like exhibit a through yeah, exactly. a through z of all the times that you were slightly yeah. demeaning in your intonation at this fucking thing and then it's become this monstrous thing and it turns into a huge fight and then yep. but if you just said it right away like it's easy right now. Like I, I felt a little something funny. There's right. something going on. You have you feel in a certain way. I'm a, I'm a freak when it comes to that. I do that to the tenth degree. To me, it's like if I feel something one percent off, I tend to be like, nope, let's address that. I don't uh doesn't feel right. Even if it's minor, as you said, it's like it's minor right now, but a string of minor things doesn't feel so minor anymore. Yeah. So it's, uh, there's, um, I forgot if it's Zen or Taoism. There's a story that embodies these that talk about like this Chinese emperor calling to court the most famous doctor of the era. And the guy shows up and he's like, well, thank you for the honor. I appreciate it. But to be perfectly honest, not, not only I'm not the best doctor in China, but I'm not even the best doctor in my family. <laughs> and the emperor is like, wait, what? I hear so much about you. And he's like, well, let me explain. I have two siblings and uh, Everybody knows me because I show up in crisis time when somebody looks like they are going to die and I pull off amazing last-minute remedies and so everybody claps and think I'm great. But my older brother, he actually catches diseases when they are still small and he fixes them when they are still small. So it's not as impressive to look at because he's like, oh, you fix a small thing. He's like, yeah, yeah. and it never got to be <laughs> a big thing. So right. he's better than me because he's using way less energy to accomplish the same goal. And our other brother is better than both of us because somehow his patients don't get sick. It's a miracle. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's doing anything. He's just right. using preventively. And that's exactly what this is about, right? Is that way of like, you can get the same, you can do the spectacular last minute save, which is from a romanticized standpoint, is cool to look at because it's so dramatic. But if I can get, 
the same job without all the drama, why do we need to get there, you know? And so there's the, that skill is to be able to fix it before it's a problem. When it's a small problem, it's talent. Before it's a problem, it's an even greater talent, Yeah, right? It applies so well to health because we all have these little warning signs, these yep. little things. And a lot of times we don't either have the discipline mm -hmm. or the will to change. So maybe it's a dietary thing. You sure. know, maybe we see ourselves starting to put on weight, maybe. And we know that, all right, I need to address this. There's some emotional underlying thing that's not being met. I'm trying to enlarge myself to actually feel safe or to feel, have some reprieve from this thing that I'm feeling. Let me tackle that. Let me change my diet. Let me work in the ways that I can. But then at the point that, you know, we celebrate the people who go from massively obese to, yeah. to you know, fit. And you're like, wow. But what about the people who've just stayed fit? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, like, can we that's not fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's good job Great because job. you are almost gone and you made it back, yeah. but never get into that place is even better. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's it, and it's that it's that thing. Psychological conditions, physical conditions, it's can we address them when we mm -hmm. get the warnings? Because there's always little warning signs. There's there's always feedback and yep. communication. If we're really if we're really present and we're really listening, we're like, okay, I see this melancholy starting to set in before it's full-blown depression mm -hmm. let me address this where's the dissatisfaction where's the helplessness coming yep. from where's where have i lost hope and let me go in learn more figure it out illuminate this and then solve the situation that's why a doctor who can see through that whether mm -hmm. it's a psychiatrist or whether it's a you know general md yep. who can really holistically look and like all right i'm seeing some things that are going to lead to bigger problems let's mm -hmm. address these now but that's not our that's not our medical model because you don't make a lot of money on that. You know, not you at keep all. People healthy. Yes, and that's a that's a big problem that that we're in right now. Yeah, that's why the emperor of China calls you to court if you are the miracle guy, not if you are the guy who never create who creates conditions so that you never need to go for the miracle. You know. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. One is way less spectacular. Mm -hmm. but it's way better yeah. <laughs> so it's like uh, it's, it's less flashy and I think that's why the Dao Te Ching emphasizes the yin everybody gets the yang everybody gets that the miracle worker is fantastic it's the stuff that you don't see though that's just as valuable if not more valuable but doesn't get recognized because it's it's made of little tiny adjustment rather than last minute miracle save yeah it, it actually that's the next line of that same piece accomplish the great task by a series of small acts exactly you know like little tiny yep. little tiny pieces yeah 68 the best athlete wants his opponent at his best the best general enters the mind of his enemy the best businessman serves the communal good the best leader follows the will of the people all of them embody the virtue of non-competition not that they don't love to compete but they do it in the spirit of play. In this, they are like children and in harmony with the Tao. So we were just talking about competition. I'm glad we read these before the <laughs> stick whacking yes. event. Yes. Because ultimately, while I love, you know, while I love competition, I love mm -hmm. it. I thrive in it. There's some release of my mind when I can just be in there. And that's what I love Kendo so much. When you're thinking about something you're slow mm -hmm. and you have to really clear your mind and really just react and you're present there's yeah. a presence that happens in competition presence that happens when i play basketball mm -hmm. presence that happens anytime there's something but actually when i'm way better than somebody i lose presence of course you know i'm just kind of thinking about this or that and 
So, you know, today I played basketball. I was awful. I couldn't hit a shot. I just I yeah. lost most of the games because the way that the teams were picked, you know, I was a player that should win games based on me yeah. hitting shots. But we weren't. Yeah. And I was letting my team down and there was a lot of stuff. Back in a long time ago, I would have been kind of devastated by that. But to me, there's kind of an excitement about, oh, all right, well, today I got my ass kicked. But now there's going to be more presence when I practice. Right. So I'm going to like think about this. And I know they're good enough that if I'm not playing well, they're going to beat me. Mm-hmm. You know, And they're going to talk shit and they're going to be right. And I'm going to have nothing right. to say back because that's going to be less fun. But it's the play. It, it turns the finite game into the infinite game of, oh, well, now basketball just went up. Yeah. in the in the fun now the play is a little bit more interesting to me there's the excitement to it because the the result is not assured yeah. right yeah it's a trippy it's trippy competition because it's like i notice with um savannah my girlfriend because she's a professional fighter but when we when we roll it's such a strange game because realistically i've done it longer so while I'm not a pro fighter, I'm older and all of that. I've done it a lot longer. So she's skilled. But if I go 100%, I can probably catch her. And uh, But she was actually the easiest person in the world to get along with because she's very flexible, mellow, relaxed. She does not want to look bad in front of me. <laughs> so she does not want to lose to me. At the same time, if she crashes me, which if I don't pay 101% of attention, she will crash me because she's good, right? (laughs) So if I give 95% effort, I'm dead, right? She catches me immediately and I'm done. If she does that too many times, she's going to be like, you suck, you you, you know? And so there's a weird game where it's like, I have to give it my all, but then if I I crash her too much, she's going to be in a bad mood. If I don't give it my all and she crashes me, I'm gonna I gotta feel not that great. And she's gonna be looking at me like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. So it's yeah. the weird play where I don't know. I grew up as an only child. So I grew up with a lot of competition was with myself, mm-hmm. where I'm splitting two different characters. I'm playing both of them. And I clearly one is the real me and I want yeah. him to win. But if I dominate, it's not fun. So I have to make it like me number two is doing well enough that he's scared. He's like, oh, I may lose. And then miraculously me number one. Wait, it's so funny the stuff we do in our heads. Competing with your partner is really, really Sucks. tricky, yeah. especially with the dynamics. Yeah. You know, and I, I've done that when, you know, Whitney was training to box. Right. And, you know, I've done, I've boxed a little bit my whole life. And obviously I have a huge power of advantage, course. right? But so you, that's out of the equation. Yeah. You can't, you can't use that. hard, insane. of course. Yeah. You know, that would be insane. And also even rolling too. You know, and she's, she's a blue belt and I'm a white belt. And right. I, you know, I've trained enough, but I have a lot of strength. I could just, you know, power through something and get something that taps her out, you know, yeah. like one way or another, just squeeze <laughs> right. everything yes. until something <laughs> pops. Like, yeah, granted, yeah. but you can't do that. That's insane. Yeah. And then, but at the same time, like if... If she catches me, there's some way in which I just feel her arousal towards me dropping. Just, like, <laughs> just, yes, just on a, just on like a decline. 100%. You know? So then what do I do? Do Completely. I fucking you know, pepper her? Yeah. And, like, you know, and, and I'll watch myself get in these, like, it's this weird thing. And finally, it's like, it's just not 
fucking worth it. Nah, like the only way to do it is if you're laughing the whole time. Yes, yes, yes. Because otherwise, like, God damn, it's a minefield to navigate. It is. It's bad if you eat and it's bad if you lose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's only in, in that one, you really have to embody the Tao of like, this is play. Yep. This yep, is fucking yep, yep. play. Like everybody, like, let's understand. And I do that a lot in rolling with other people as sure. well, where to me is like, look, we are here to have fun. We are playing, we're having fun. So if I'm uh, crashing somebody, I'm just gonna ways off and it's going to, I want them to catch me at some point. I want them to feel good about it. I want them to do something where I'm like, man, that was great. You did a fantastic job. If uh, they crash me, ideally I can bring it up. So it's not such a crash where at least it's competitive or something, but it's like, to me, it's a dance. It's like it's, it's different if you're doing it for a living. If you are a pro fighter, sure. yeah, then, well, that's it's a different story. If you are a pro at anything, well, then you have to give at 300% all the time. And it's only about getting better so that in competition you can give your best. But if that's not it, I mean, it's laughing giggles at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we're having fun. And if I'm crashing you, you're probably not going to want to play with me again. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like maybe I should tweak it a little where yeah. it's, there's a bit more of a dance, a give and take, you know. And in some ways, though, you know, some people might get demoralized, but, you know, pickleball is a sport that I picked up right. because my mom was a professional tennis mm-hmm. player and I've had a whole background of it. And these are just good athletes, but not yeah. nobody's like a, very few people are like i'm pro pickleball yeah, player yeah, you, know, there's, you don't see that that often I, they are around sure and of course they would crush me uh, but ultimately like i have a distinct advantage but i've become the thing where sometimes on their best day and my worst day they'll beat me yeah. legitimately and right. that to them is like that's something achievement that's yes, awesome. yes yes so i always play i always play all out and it's it's interesting to watch everybody kind of adapt and like some people are taking lessons like one of my friends like i'm taking lessons and they're like well what do you want to achieve i want to beat aubrey (laughs) you know like that's the that is the goal of this thing and what a beautiful thing to have you know is to have that thing that's like man if i'm if i get just good enough i might be able to take one take a game take more points and that's where you fact it's different with everybody. Like most people don't like to be crushed, but some people want you to give 101% every time and even beat them every time. It, 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 it motivates, it doesn't demoralize them. They are motivated, they like it, they go for it. And in that case, by all means, let's play it. But yeah, you see that with like great jujitsu guys, they tend to fall into two schools. There's the guy who we are never gonna tap because he's always gonna go 100% and <laughs> yeah. kill you. And there's the guy who can tap you anytime they want. And they do, but then they give up an arm. And if you do it well, they let you tap them or they let you get close. And and that's also another style. And they're both interesting. You know, there's, there's, I can see something cool in both approaches. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Ultimately though, always remembering that it's play. When you get lost and, you know, all of the psychology of it. And I'll watch people too. And... You know, the interesting thing is, is, you know, we'll play doubles or whatever. Mm-hmm. You watch somebody and they'll make a bad shot and they'll start beating themselves up yep. about it, you know? And I got, I got honestly into that a little bit today where I was like, it was like, it was bothering me that yeah. I was missing my shot. So I started to change things and I got worse and things got, and I was like, I would try to like reset and like get back mm-hmm. to it. Cause I understand that the moment you start to take it seriously and the moment you're not just playing loose, you're going to play like shit. Even worse. Yes. Yeah. And just reminding, like, this is play, this is play. And I've gotten a lot better at that since I've been older. I mean, before, back in the day, losing was 
death. death. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it was death. <laughs> it's fight to the death. Right. Every, right. Yeah, and there's something fun about that too. I've had play games where I literally like blood everywhere because you die for every loose ball. You mm -hmm. do all these crazy things and you're like, there's a beauty to it. Probably not great long term, but there's a beauty to that as well. It's again, to go to the Toltec beliefs, it's controlled folly, they mm -hmm. call it. Like you can get lost in this in this game and play it like it's for real. Play yep. it like it's so serious because there's some fun in that. There's yep. some joy in the stakes of being, this is so serious. But remember it's folly and you're in control. Mm -hmm. And at any point you should be able to just be like, get, switch to giggles and hugs. Exactly. You know, at that point. And yep. that's, that's, I think, the key thing. I think rugby exemplifies that really well. And when you talk about people, maybe not at the highest pro sure. level, but, and even then, like you play rugby and then you go drink beer with both mm -hmm. people and it's brutal. Yep. I mean, rugby is brutal, brutal sport. Definitely. And, but and they embody that like, oh yeah, we're here to play. We're all the same in the same yeah. field and we respect each other. And we're gonna, no matter what happens in this game, however it goes, however mm -hmm. many tries you get, the we're drinking beer. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of this. Play like, hard and then have we're fun. Drinking beer. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's the way to do it. Definitely. 70. My teachings are older than the world. How can you grasp their meaning? If you want to know me, look inside your heart. <laughs> <laughs> I think that captures that idea that you don't have to be a Taoist to be in touch with the Tao. Right, where it's like they are older than the world. They they are not about learning what's in the book. They are not about learning a doctrine. They are at the DNA of life. So if you can touch that, which you can touch through your own heart, then you can know those teachings. You don't need to know those teachings to know those teachings. You know mm -hmm. they are they are eternal. They are everywhere. They are don't learn them from the book. Learn them from. Uh, becoming a great basketball player from yeah. becoming the Tao is in everything and that and you can learn it in all of those things it's like a, it's always a remembering in a way you mm -hmm. know because there's this infinite wisdom that we carry and when we get to know something and it's like oh yeah oh yeah this is true mm -hmm. which is always more of a reminding yep. than uh than a new thing that you've adapted may feel new but because but the Tao is within has been within you always and containing all possibilities and all knowledge and all things. So it's really like remembering something that Yeah. I don't think anybody can teach you something that it, there's not a seed of it in you already. Yeah. They can shine a spotlight on it, they can help you discover it that it was always there. But if it's not there, nobody can give it to you. You know, it's yeah. not something that you hand to somebody else. Yeah. All right, 72, getting close to the end here. When they lose their sense of awe, people turn to religion. When they no longer trust themselves, they begin to depend upon authority. I mean, you see why this guy is amazing. Right. It's just oh, It's just pearl after pearl, line. just yes. like flowing effortlessly out of this cup of, of yeah. wisdom you know and i'm skipping through it's not like this parts no, i'm skipping aren't awesome too they are brilliant but, but you know we're trying to make it through a lot of these little yeah. snippets that i identified but there's a bob dylan quote that's perfect Taoism, and is very much this that said uh, to live outside the law you must be honest <laughs> and it's exactly this right it's like 
to a level, rules are for people who are too dumb to live without rules. It's like you need that structure, you need those limitations, you need the laws and the rules if you don't have that thing inside you that allow you to navigate without even remembering I should do this, I shouldn't do it. You do it naturally because that's what the situation calls for. When you lack that guiding principle, then you need rules. Mm-hmm. And I, I, right now I said it in a condescending way, oh, you're too dumb to, it's kind of an asshole thing to say, because ultimately if that's what you need, that's what you need and that's fine. There's nothing yeah. wrong with it. And it's like maybe one day you will learn to move beyond the rules, but that's fine. That's a useful tool. Uh, but the ideal, the goal of the game is to be able to have uh, no rules and you never have to use them because you never have to have somebody telling you, you shouldn't do it, you wouldn't do it because your understanding of life leads to the fact that you don't have to somebody on your shoulder saying, you know, you really shouldn't rape somebody. It's like, no, it would never even cross my fucking mind. That's just not even, it doesn't come up. But right. And so that is the difference between external authority that he refers to versus an internal guiding principle. And when you develop the internal guiding principle, external authority is redundant. Yeah. Of course, if you don't have it yet, then you need some guidelines to keep you from screwing up too badly. Mm -hmm. We see this out in the world now where the governments are acting like the parent Mm -hmm. who's like, because I said so. You know, it's like basically treating every sovereign human as such an idiot that they, we need more and more rules and more and more regulations and more external authority and more use of force to prevent people from doing the right thing which actually does the opposite it actually you know it's counterproductive but they're not thinking that way oh we're doing something good we're preventing this thing and but they're not they're just they're taking away they're robbing people of the choice to actually do the right thing and be moral and really trusting somebody to do that i run a company called black swan yoga Mm -hmm. and we have a full full on donation model for all our yoga people can donate whatever they want and suggested we suggest ten dollars like that's you know for for people who want a guideline of what we suggest some people pay nothing or a dollar some people pay 20. yeah and it's one of the best yoga businesses Mm. of all of the other ones and there's this principle and i just had a meeting with the team but there's this principle of trust yeah where it's like no we trust you we trust that we're giving you something awesome and you're going to feel that sense of reciprocity Mm. and you're going to give it back and it's going to work we did that with Onnit with our return policy. Yeah. We said, if you buy something and you don't like it, you don't need to send anything back, clip out some fucking coupons, do all this other stuff. Just tell us you don't like it. We'll refund your money. We'll charge it right back on the card. That's all you need to do. And everyone's like, well, what about the person who's going to buy something, really like it, and then they're going to get their money back? Our return rate was lower than anyone in the industry. And it was the most lenient policy yeah. there was. And yeah. sure, a couple of people took advantage of, of it, but ultimately people were like, Oh wow, Onnit trusts us, or oh wow, yeah. Black Swan trusts us. Like I love them more. Yeah, for of it. course. And it's working in pragmatic ways in reality with mass numbers of people. Yep. And it would work if the governments would really trust people to, and then inform them and teach them. Yeah. You know, and of course, there's there may be laws at the end if someone's for clearly sure. doing fraud. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll stop them from doing clear fraud, or if someone's clearly hurting somebody else. Right. You can stop them, and there's there's it's not absolute, but. The more trust that you can give, same with our, you know, Black Swan teachers. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why the product is so good is we trust our teachers. We right. don't say you have to go and do every different posture. This is the preset thing. Yep. Read the room. Yeah. 
see what see who's there get feedback real time create your thing play the music you want to play because mm-hmm. you know your practice you know what makes sense if you want to play fucking hip-hop right the whole do class yeah do that <laughs> right like whatever if you want to go straight kirtan the whole class like yeah. do that you know this is a sweaty yoga class so ultimately right. people want to sweat yeah. so make sure that that's a part of it but play within the bounds color yeah. with any color you want and just make sure you abide by these basic principles and the teachers love it the classes are massive we'll mm-hmm. get 75 people in a class where the next best in austin is like 30 maximum right. and then you know, they get 30 and they're like holy shit well why it's just based on trust it's yeah. trust every way through we trust the teachers the teachers trust the people that they're going to pay because they get paid based upon the students mm-hmm. that pay the thing they get a percentage of that so it's just trust all the way around and it fucking works it works and it would work at scale too like people aren't horrendous you know hume like idiots yeah. you know where they're like all nasty brutish and short with each other like like the natural human nature and like he said about life he wasn't saying that about people but it's this idea that people are bastards mm-hmm. and like you have to control them otherwise their bastard tendencies will just run rampant yeah not really well, that's uh, when speaking about Taoism and the pragmatic impact of all this stuff, that's Taoism right there, right? It's like many people involved with Black Swan Yoga, they may have never heard of Taoism, but they are practicing and they are experiencing it and they are responding to it because yeah. it's a principle that it's exactly what we're talking about. And yeah. so, and I love when you see it working. Like I find it moving when I see it working, yeah. where you are kind of giving something on trust and people reciprocate. It's like one of the most beautiful things you can ever witness is. Uh, it gives you faith in the world in yeah. a way, you know, and it's like, it opens the possibility of like, oh, people are awesome. I, granted, I cry at everything, right? I can watch <laughs> a too. Steven Seagal movie and find it movie <laughs> and cry. So I literally yeah. cry at like, if you drop a coin, I'll cry, right? <laughs> but uh, that stuff, Oh man, I never resist. Like when I see things that I find where somebody does something beautiful and somebody responds to it and it works out, it's I always find it like the most moving thing in the world. Absolutely. Where I'm just like, oh, there is some goodness there. There is a beauty there. There is uh oh, that feels so good. Yeah, I'm with you. And I just I pray that more people, you know, and more of these structures and organizations can kind of really open themselves to mm-hmm. the to the Tao, to this to this understanding of the laws that are older than laws yeah. and the law of reciprocity is one of those laws this is what don howard my spiritual mentor mm-hmm. would teach me like the law of the law of reciprocity is it's within the Tao. it's contained within this this natural sense of you give something there's going to be a natural response right and someone might you know intentionally subvert that or they might be off from it but it's still going to draw them it's Mm -hmm. still pulling it's still acting on them and so their own guilt will then create their own reciprocity to the self it'll create all of these if you deny it it's going to just compound in weird strange repressed ways that are going to come back the other way and it's it's really just trusting like oh reciprocity Mm -hmm. is is the law that's older than laws and let's just let's trust that i love that (laughs) that stuff is beautiful yeah man it's it's really important and i think we've really seen how the zeitgeist is moving in a different direction mm-hmm. and then how there's this nat there's a huge response and just like no fuck you guys you know and, and this is yeah. this is now creating this massive conflict but hopefully the conflict resolves itself and just like some deeper understanding 
Yeah, even when you think about like what's been happening lately with COVID, a bunch of people working from home, realizing that they could get the work done from home for sure. many jobs, not all of them. And to me, you know, if you are the boss at a place, in most scenarios, it's like, look, you wanna go to the beach and then go with your kids all day. I need the I need these done by the end of the week. When you do it, I don't give a fuck. It's like go yep. to the beach, hang out with your kids all day. You stay up till 3 a.m. to make up for that later, and you get it done by the end of the week. Great. You don't want to come in the office that much. You want to work for a moment, you still get stuff done great. Good for you. If you don't get stuff done great, then we need a conversation. You know, it's like because yeah. at the end of the day, that's what counts. But whatever makes you, what makes you happier? What would make, what would feel better about doing your job? Or do you need more time off? Do you want to spend more time with your family? You can take all the time you want as long as the stuff that I need you to do gets done. That's it. Then if somebody does that to you, you want to give them your best, <laughs> yeah, man. Exactly. It's like if you are at work eight hours a day and really six hours you're watching Facebook and like, I guess <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. to put in the time or they don't catch me. I'm, now I'm like, oh man, I want to give you my best because you're you're helping me. You want to be cool to me. I want to be cool back. Oh, yeah. No. And it's interesting is, you know, that was our, that was our vacation policy as mm -hmm. well was, you know, take as much vacation time as you want. You have a job to do. Yep. You need to do the job. And if you're not doing the job, there's a, there's an issue with how much you believe in the mission mm -hmm. and how much you actually believe in what we're doing and yep. how much you care about all of us in this organization. And then there's a fundamental, there's a fundamental misalignment that we need to expose anyways. Yep. So like, if you want to take, you know, seven months out of the year and fuck off, well, there's a fundamental misalignment that will be revealed, but sure. this allows this, like, instead of the hidden misalignments that are masked in compliance mm -hmm. with some policy, it's like, no, no, no whatever you want like take see. make sure your team's okay make sure your work's getting done but take whatever you need and that's also this again it's just trusting this mm -hmm. thing and then that caused people to love this company you know it's like oh fuck i love it here I, they're trusting me they're practicing what they preach and this is something special in fact that is in some way the Dao Ching is written as a manual for leaders to some yeah, degree for sure it is uh, given to people in position of leadership for how they can help out other people and run something in a better way and yeah whether you're talking about a business a family or anything else it's right there yeah 74 if you realize that all things change there is nothing that you will try to hold on to if you aren't afraid of dying there's nothing you can't achieve. Trying to control the fortune, trying to control the future is like trying to take the master carpenter's place. When you handle the master carpenter's tools, chances are that you'll cut your hand. So let's keep to 75 because I'm not too good at this. Man, that's a one that I struggle with. I'm such a control freak. It's not even funny. <laughs> so while I understand that it is right, it really flies against every fiber of my being in so many ways. It's getting to this very strange thing. There's, and Joe Dispenza talks about, especially the last part, you know, I think it's obviously there's some self-evident parts. If you aren't afraid of dying, there's nothing you can't achieve. Sure. Obviously that fear of death is any fear is, is the limitation on mm -hmm. your ability to move forward. Um, when you realize that all things change, there's nothing that you will try to hold on to. This is a lesson about attachment, right? Like time is going is undefeated. It will rip everything mm -hmm. from your grasp that you hold on to. It's not possible to be unattached to anything. No, but first. it's it's 
that recognition is like okay everything is flowing everything is moving let's cling to nothing so let's just be here presently yeah and it goes again to more into zen like let's be here in the present mm-hmm. be here now as ramdas said and because everything's changing anyway so what we have now is it and that's and that's the victory is in the moment not yeah. in the some future moment because the future moment is just another moment and that can either be a victory or not mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what happens you know like the external is doesn't create the success oh yeah don't get me wrong i've written some great stuff on the topic <laughs> practicing them though is a different it's hard it's yeah, a me hard too, one me too man i mean it's... i think one of the great fears that i realized was that some part of me was holding myself back from loving life to mm-hmm. the most because i knew i had to let it go of course and it's much easier to let something go if it's not that awesome yep so if i didn't love life that much i found this out in the darkness oh i was if i don't love life that much well when i die and I have to let it go or my mom dies not or something like that big it's a deal. not that big yeah. of a deal so what but if i really recognize how much i love my mom yeah you know then i really have to like i really acknowledge that then i have to really deal yeah. with that attachment that i have so it's not that i grasp this either but the concepts are are clear yeah where the concepts get really i think particularly interesting is the second part of this trying to control the future is like trying to take the master carpenter's place when you handle the master carpenter's tools chances are that you'll cut your hand because this is complicated yeah. because and joe dispenza talks about this is the balance between intention and surrender it's like you kind of need to try to control the future like he, this is him i think laos being such a purist mm-hmm. like such a purist in the Tao, like just allowing things to be but almost because of the way the words are and i bet if in the conversation the words might be different mm-hmm. but like ultimately there has to be not has to be but there's likely some intention mm-hmm. you know because he's talking about lots of things that of require intentions right For so sure there's intention but then there's surrender yep. it's the yin and the yang yep. here's my intention here's my surrender and they're locked in mm-hmm. this beautiful dance and where you are is somewhere on that boundary line in between your intention of trying to control the trying to create the future and pulling the future that you want to you right and then letting go and letting the future be what it is intended to be yeah which is uh i think your read on it is the correct one because mm-hmm. it's like it would be easy to apply dogmatically and say no attachment or no planning anything and it's like that's not really what he's saying he's right. not that one-sided as he's exactly where you're going with it which is like as little it's kind of like way right it's not non-action it's as little action as necessary to get the job done is attachment inevitable and even desirable to some degree to enjoy life but clearly more than a certain amount is just going to make you miserable yeah uh planning good effort good but expecting that everything is going to work according to plan and that you can control it all yeah good luck with that <laughs> it's yeah. not gonna happen no, and that's not the way of it all right the last one that i wanted to highlight is number 76 men are born soft and supple dead they are stiff and hard plants are born tender and pliant dead they are brittle and dry thus whoever is stiff and inflexible is a disciple of death whoever is soft and yielding is a disciple of life the hard and stiff will be broken the soft and supple will prevail I love that so much. <laughs> That's just a beautiful one. Yeah. Right? Is uh, speaking of that ability for to be flexible. I get 
primarily metaphorically, but not only. There's there's something great about that, especially in, you know in a culture where we value so much strength. You know, even think of it physically, right? Strength physically, just big, strong muscle, move big weights. That's great. It's wonderful. But if you doesn't go hand in hand with some flexibility, you're like the stereotype of the bodybuilder who's <laughs> like, yeah, you look yoked, but you can't scratch your back. We got a problem there, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and so this idea about, that ultimately is about how life is, right? That, that ability to adapt is probably the greatest ability that we can have. That ability to, because you don't run reality, you respond to reality. You know, reality is happening outside of whether you mm -hmm. want things a certain way or not. And so the way, and in order to adapt, what do you need? Flexibility. You can't adapt if you have only one way to respond to something. It's going to work some of the time and it's not going to work a lot yeah. of the time. And so that ability to kind of flow with it is the same thing we're saying about conversation. Mm -hmm. You're going to tweak your language and your conversation and your energy depending on who's in front of you. A book cannot do that. Hence why the Tao that can be explained is not the eternal one. The eternal one is the adaptable one, is the flexible yeah. one, is the one it's that the you get to. One. It's the living word. Precisely. The written one, eh, there are some limitations there. You know? I, was, uh, I was meditating on the nature of writing like a religious text mm -hmm. you know and understanding that words that are written down especially like you know a, a bible or or any of these words that are written down and as these articles of faith mm -hmm. they're dead they're stiff you can't you can't make modifications there's no one with the authority to modify yep. the bible they can interpret it in a billion ways so mm -hmm. the interpretations can change so i guess in that way it's modifiable but ultimately like anything that is really a faith that i want to be involved it has to be alive it has to be moving and flexible ideas have to be alive they have to be in a, if you're in accord with life mm -hmm. and you're not a disciple of death mm -hmm. then you move yep. and you adapt and you adjust and you get feedback and you don't double down on your thing that you thought was right and say like let me plant my heels and entrench myself here, even though I know I'm wrong because mm -hmm. I'm too afraid to be wrong. You just, exactly. you're supple. You're not holding on to anything. You're just like like that judoka we mentioned, mm -hmm. just kind of dancing through all the moves and all the force. And and that's, I think, a great idea of, of what I'm trying to learn from this. I'm trying to learn like, how do I be supple? How do mm -hmm. I unclench that clenching thing in my heart? How do I let my jaw, instead of holding <laughs> it tight and trying to grit my way to creating something that I think is favorable or I think will get me love from the world, which is some projection of the love that I got from the attention of my parents and coaches and other people. Like, let me try to soften a little bit mm -hmm. and listen to what the world wants from me and then in respond to what the world is asking, what I want for myself, what I truly want. Let me just dance with it a little bit more. Yeah, that's the way. There's um, there's a thing that I would experience when doing standing meditation, where you kind of go into this pose, sort of hugging the tree type of feeling, mm -hmm. where when you do that, you think you're relaxed, and suddenly you realize 10 minutes in, everything is burning. And you're like, why? And then you go, oh, Mm. I was holding way too much tension. Like I can hold the same frame with half the energy, right? And I'm like, oh, so that's what I do probably in 10,000 situations in daily life, both physically and in other ways and more yeah. metaphorically. 
And I'm like, oh, okay. And it's fascinating because even in situations where you think you're, no, I'm being relaxed, it's cool. It's like sometimes taking a third look, you get to see, okay, okay, you can do the same thing as you say, unclench a little more than you. Mm -hmm. Let it flow a little more. You don't have to hold on so tight. Mm -hmm. Very hard lesson for people who are wired the way you're wired or the <laughs> way I'm wired. Because yep. I'm used to getting shit done because I put my willpower <laughs> in it. It's like, it's going to yeah, be this sure. Conan the Barbarian Titanic effort of the wheel yeah. and I'm going to make it happen and triumph and claim the prize. And then you realize, uh, way too much yang. Yeah. Yeah, you do it like The Rock did in Hobbs and Shaw where he had a chain around a helicopter. And with one hand, he yeah. grabbed the chain and he drove the helicopter into the ground, <laughs> which is one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what did you just show? That's not real. You, you no? Oh, <laughs> don't tell me that. <laughs> you can't slam a helicopter into the ground with your brute nah, strength. Nah, you want to believe it. <laughs> Oh man. Well, I think that's why both of us are attracted to this, you know, ancient wisdom. Yeah. And we both know it's true. Yeah. And we both <laughs> we both <laughs> Can, have our challenges in, yep. in living it and living the way. And and we'll all find we'll all find we'll find our harmony mm -hmm. with with what our natural nature is. And I think that harmony will change as we get less force right. available to us. We'll use less force. But if we can get ahead of it a little bit, we'll uh, burn ourselves out a little bit slower. Yep. Which is as much as you can ask of anybody, That's it. right? Course That's it. correct a little. That's a win. Yeah. Amen. Daniele, what are your favorite what are some of your favorite shows on History on Fire and where can people find it? So EQ Sojourn. I did two episodes about EQ's life. 40 something so there's a couple so history on fire you can find it a couple of different ways if you want all of the episodes they are out on luminary that's uh, behind the paywall granted it's a small paywall i think it's like five bucks a month or something like that but that's kind of where everything mm -hmm. is they have also been nice enough to leave a lot of episodes like 50 or so outside of a paywall so you can find it on like apple podcast or other things so which i find I was happy that they chose that because I don't like the idea of people paying for something when they don't know what they are getting. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, if you listen to a bunch of episodes that you like them, eh, probably it's not going to kill you to throw in five bucks a month to listen to more. But if you just want to test it out or listen to a few here and there, Apple Podcasts, check out a few and see if it's something that hit the spot for you. Yep. But yeah, the ones about EQ, I had a blast. They just released a couple of free ones about Bruce Lee. That was cool. I had a great time with those. I had uh, I did a bunch about Lakota culture. Mm -hmm. There's uh, historically speaking, that's probably the one thing that there are many topics I enjoy, but rarely I get to enjoy something as much as Lakota history. Mm -hmm. So I did a whole series on Crazy Horse, another one about Sitting Bull, another one about the war for the Black Hills leading to the Battle of the Little Bighorn. I just come alive when I shut up <laughs> about that stuff. So, but generally speaking, since they are all topics that I pick because I think there's something that kind of turns me on when I do the research where I'm like, man, this is lighting stuff up inside me. I'm excited to learn more about it. It's usually stuff I like. In some cases, like the EQ stuff, I like it even more than others. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, I know people will check it out. Daniele, my brother, was an honor. Thank you Thanks so much for, for having me. Great to hang. 
We'll have we'll let people know how the kendo goes. <laughs> <laughs> Peace, everybody. Much love. Bye. If you like listening to Daniele, which I definitely do, and you want to listen to some of his incredible episodes on History on Fire, check out Luminary. As he said, it's a very small paywall, but it's worth it. And I also think Russell Brand is behind there too, which is he's definitely worth giving a listen, Dave Chappelle too. So I think it's probably a pretty good deal. So check him out there and check him out. Check his books out. His book, Not Afraid, is incredible. His book, Create Your Own Religion, is incredible. I've really enjoyed reading from him, hearing from him, and I really enjoyed this conversation as well. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. I love you guys, and I'll see you next week.